Okay, am I uh, doing the intro today? Uh, it doesn't matter. We either one of us can do it. Um, just so okay. you guys know, I also might need to run off every once in a while to help with kids upstairs. Okay. Oh yeah, family's got a family. Okay, I'll let the smoke clear. All right. <clears throat> Sorry, it's been a while since I've done an intro. All righty. Everybody ready? Yep. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Milsurp World podcast. Uh, I'm hosting today. I'm, I am Danny. And uh, with us here, we have Aaron, uh, Jared, and a special guest, Chris. Uh, if you want to say hello, everybody. What's up? Hello. Hey. So, Good evening, everyone. So Chris is a... Uh, he's well known in our sort of German rifle uh, collector groups. Um, I would say that Chris is probably like the premier, like one of the most premier uh, Gewehr 98 collector experts uh, in, in the U.S. Um, you have a you have an impression collection. I've seen some of the rifles that you post in, on the groups on on Facebook and stuff. And uh, I've never probably been as jealous of certain rifles as I have of, of stuff that Chris has posted online. Um, but uh, so that's uh, we're, we're happy to have Chris on today as sort of our expert guest for the topic of German rifles, uh, German infantry rifles, 1871 to 1945. Uh, so what we're going to do here is what we do normally, Chris, we'll just ask you uh, the two questions, which is. Um, how did you get into military surplus and what was your first uh, military surplus uh, firearm? Oh, wow. So I think I joined or, or joined the community um, really because I had a love of history. And I had uh, one of my good friends who's more of a U.S. collector had dragged me to a gun show, you know, maybe maybe 15 or so years ago. And I was instantly hooked. Um the first Milserp that I bought was, uh, like a lot of German collectors starting out, was a Russian capture K90AK. It was a, uh, I think a um, CE42, if I'm not mistaken, uh, JP Sauer uh, 1942. Um, yeah, pretty unremarkable. I still have it in in one of my closets. It's a, it's a. Um, I think I ended up building a, a sniper repro out of it, but. Uh, I still have it just for sentimental reasons. Yeah, that the Russian captures I think are like the real gateway drug into German <laughs> yeah. rifles, it, especially when they were cheap. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 10, yeah. 10, 15 <laughs> years ago, yeah, they were. Yeah, you can get yeah. them under five hundred pretty easily. They're a good entry level, good quality gun. You know, they they fired and handled and everything. They're safe. And uh, yeah, that was my first uh, German. Mauser as my second Milsurp ever was a was a K90 a Russian captured K90 K so yeah that's a really good uh good entry level one I've said often that like that's that's how I got into it my love of history and then reading World War II history and then realizing that these like relics from this war are available like anybody can buy them like you can buy like whoa the guns they used in that war I could own and actually hold the same thing that you know that that tangible aspect of history, I think, is a really big, big part of this, and uh, that's uh, that's really cool, man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I guess if you want to get into the the topic today, uh, eighteen seventy one, I see I see Aaron's side profile. 
Sorry, um, I'm I'm reading about the rivals we're looking at. I'm okay. watching the hockey game. So everybody knows <laughs> I'm, like, I'm here. <laughs> I'm watching the hockey game. So like, just know that. Okay. You have most, my attention. Most just of this uh, stuff is already new, but a lot of this, uh, like, I don't really know much about the pre eighteen seventy one. Like, um, yeah, yeah. But I, what I imagine when I think of like a Germany before eighteen seventy one is just a, a ton of little countries, just like a speckling of countries. We talked a little bit about that before we started recording, but well, the four yeah. kingdoms. Well, there were yeah. four kingdoms and a whole bunch of other uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like dukies little... and principalities and all that. So yeah, yeah, quite the quite the smattering, and uh, really, I think the the pivotal moment for the unification of Germany was the Franco-Prussian War. So the defeat of the French, so the you know the the well-established French Empire as a unified country having that sort of advantage, and then you have these upstart Germans just a ragtag collection of confederated states you know with different guns and everything and able to defeat the defeat the french quite yeah quite interesting yeah the prussians were really kind of the pre premier um, um military power on the continent at the time though the french army um certainly had the reputation they had been you know unified a long time you still kind of had the specter of napoleon and all those all those victories uh kind of kind of over the french so there, there was this air that hey, the French are really one of the uh, one of the stronger countries, and really in a uh, streak of brilliance with Bismarck, he he was able to get France to declare war on Germany, so they look like the aggressor. I mean, it really was like you know you you think like Star Wars style, like Emperor Palpatine, ah, the Jedi are taking over. That that pretty much what Bismarck was able to do with the. Uh, with yeah. the French and really baited them into a war that the French just weren't prepared to win. Um, they, they were embarrassed at the battle of Sedan and you know, the, the emperor was captured, the French emperor. Um, yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't think it can get any worse than that. Yeah. You get when you're, like when you're king or emperor or ruler gets captured, that, that's, that's pretty bad. That'd be like uh FDR getting captured during world war two or something. It did. Yeah. <laughs> It, things only don't go if, well after that. Only if. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, and that's I don't think a lot of people realize that that was the first time the German troops like marched under the Arc de Triumph because a lot of there's tons of pictures of German troops marching, you know, in 1940 through underneath the Arc de Triumph. But yeah, 18, 1871, I think that was the that was the the first time I can think of German troops marching marching through Paris. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and the the thing about pre-unification, as I like to call it, the, um, you know, the Prussians, they had the Dreisa. I mean, it was a, a nice piece of engineering in the 1840s, 1850s, but it was starting to show its age by the, by the time of the uh, Franco-Prussian War. Um, the the Chassepeau was, was a superior firearm by any measure. And uh, mm -hmm. what, what, what happened was, you know, on paper, yeah, the, the French had better weapons. They had, you know, they had, uh, you know, their reputation. Um, but the Prussians just outmaneuvered them in every way. They they had superior use of railroad. Their their troops were much better trained, much better led. Um, you know, they were they had the French on their heels pretty much from the beginning, it, and it just didn't it, it didn't end well. And from there, 
you know, after the after the uh, unification, after after the the Kaiser was crowned in Versailles, kind of a additional slap in the face to the French. The um, Germans went about this concept of unification, and you know, people look at Germany as sort of a monolithic country um, from that point on, but it really wasn't. Um, you know, you had all these all these states. Um, from the, the the four kingdoms, Prussia, Saxony, Bavaria, and uh, Württemberg um, were the were the four major ones. But filtering down from there, you had grand dukies, dukies, um, a uh, uh, principalities, um, and then kind of the smallest denominator were some of the uh, uh, free and Hanseatic cities. You had uh, Lübeck, Bremen, and uh, Hamburg, and they they were all. Um, independent in some measure they in many cases they they had their own uh, monarch they had a maybe a duke or a, a prince that ruled that state and uh really was subservient to the kaiser maybe militarily but in the case of the four kingdoms they were allowed to keep their own armies and the Württemberg army was actually folded into the prussian army as the 13th army corps but the bavarians and saxons had their own separate and distinct military that was only beholden to the uh, to the uh, Kaiser in a time of war, which is what happened in World War One, obviously. Yeah, yeah. The, one of the more interesting things that I learned was, yeah, you do think of Germany, this un- big unified country, but the fact that just a few years before the Franco-Prussian War, the the Bavarians were fighting the Prussians. Yeah. They, uh, and- they didn't like each other either. The, the uh, you know the the Bavarians to this day, there's still you know a, a minority of Bavarians that wouldn't mind seceding from modern Germany. Yeah, I guess I don't know what they would join Austria or something. I wonder what. Uh, yeah, you know, probably be an independent country, but I mean it's it's yeah. not a it's not a majority anymore by any stretch. But there was a um, there was a union with Austria discussed after World War One between Bavaria and, and uh, Austria. It never really went anywhere, but they, they just hated the Prussians so much, they really kind of wanted to break off at one point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard that, uh, what was it? Most, most countries have armies. Prussia was an army with a country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. stemming back, yeah. Um, you know, and that, and that goes back to, uh, um, you know, the Frederick... Great era. Uh, he was he was kind of the warrior king. His father had actually was the one that built the army, but Frederick used it, and and he was able to you know Hohen Freiburg was a major victory for the for the uh, Prussians, um, and really by uh, tactics luck. Uh, you know you talk about uh, I don't know if you've heard the stories about Frederick the Great with the potato, but uh, he he uh, people will still put potatoes on his grave yeah. because. He was one of the first rulers to realize, hey, the potato is is great for for yeah, feeding. A hedge fruit. against famine, yeah, war, yeah. sort of war induced famine. E- easy to yeah. easy to grow, easy to store, keeps for a long time. Very um, nutritious, it, yeah, high high calories. Uh, maybe not the 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 best from a nutritional standpoint, but it certainly had calories in it, which you know an army marches on its stomach. Yeah, yeah, that was. That was interesting. I think they said during the the reign of Frederick, uh, the 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 population of Prussia decreased. Um, I guess from from so much conflict. Um, so I think that's sort of like a, a bloody origin 
for uh, for a country to kind of be forged out of you know this kingdom at the time and uh and then sort of that militarism i think just sort of kind of carried on into the you know german unification and the the, the prussian militarism and and uh also something a lot of people um kind of don't think much of is the the prussianization that happened to other countries mm-hmm. and how they got they they got prussians to come over and teach them you know militarism and i think the the kind of the, the modern day Chilean military is kind of looked at as being the kind of the last holdout, yeah. maybe the Swedish a little bit. Um, but, you know, you could see the guys marching with, you know, very stall helm shaped helmets and, you know, they step in like the Chilean still military oh, yeah. steps in their in their parades like to this day, because yeah. it's that that holdover that that the Prussian uh, Prussian Prussianization, as they, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we even, you know, in the U.S., the. In the late 1800s, you know, we had the Prussian blue uniforms. Uh, I'm sure you'll see them at at uh, military shows. You can you can see the uh, pickle halba, uh, American pickle halba they had for the Marines and some of the army. Um, so it was very much. I mean, they were seen as really the premier military power um, worldwide. And I mean, we got our idea of having a general staff from them. Um, so it it really the a lot of innovations came out of Prussia. Yeah. Uh, okay. The American army was trained by a Prussian. It, yeah, yeah, von, uh, von Steuben. Yeah. Yeah, von Steuben. And yep. uh, you'd think I would, at Valley Forge, because yeah. he said he was some great guy and he was a captain. And I, yeah, I yeah. love, there's, there's some documentary where you listen to where they say this, and the guy, I love the guy's voice. It's like he actually wasn't a cat, he was only just a captain. Washington didn't care. No. Like that, is, that is the line that they give, and I love it. Like, he did not care. And, and von Steuben, I mean, the reason he went to the U.S. is because really no other army wanted him. He was yeah. he was uh, kind of an outcast. He had some you know, allegations made about him, and I think he was going to the U.S. because he knew they'd probably take him because they were so desperate at that point. But, hey, it worked out. The Prussian army. Yep. The American army was a Prussian army, basically. It was trained in that way. Wasn't it... Uh... Like when when Washington crossed the Delaware, wasn't that he, like um, Hessian troops? That yeah, he, that he fought? in Trenton. So like, so like it was in ethnic it, Germans mm-hmm. that the Americans was, were fighting as well. That was in Trenton when they went into Trenton. Uh, that was against the Hessian mercenaries, which is uh, Middle Germany, Hesse. Yeah, they they were from all over Germany. They 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 kind of got the broad name uh, Hessians yeah. because of uh, uh, the the German you know principality of. Uh, of uh, Hesse, but uh, really, I mean, they could have been my my one of my ancestors was a Hessian mercenary, and he was he was from uh, uh, Ansbach in Bavaria. So it they, they came from all over Germany. They just kind of got that broad name of of Hessian, sort of a just a almost like a stereotype or whatever. Oh yeah, they're all Hessians, whatever. So yeah, yeah, that 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 doesn't happen in war at all. Just just broad generalizations of the enemy. Yeah, no, but, ne- never, never. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so they, they, the sort of ununified Germans kind of led by the Prussians, you know, defeating the French Franco Prussian War. And then coming out of that, my understanding is sort of this desire of a unifying rifle, sort of a unifying caliber, because a lot of the, the various kingdoms are, are just sort of using whatever they thought was the best at the time, um, which yeah. sort of just depended on you know, what they, what they happen to buy, it seems like, um, yeah, like they, the time of adoption. 
Yeah, and they had, uh, you, you know, really the unification of Germany came in stages. So you had, uh, you know, the North German Confederation was sort of the precursor to the German Empire. Prussia was able to unify the North, but you had the Catholic South that that was really, uh, they, they weren't brought into the fold until later, um, until after the, you know, the really the Franco-Prussian War was the catalyst that pulled them in. But coming into that war, you had the Prussians had the the Dreysa series. You had the Bavarians who had uh, a rather um, they they had the muskets. Uh, they also had a rather poor breech loader called the the Podvils uh, Lindner, which was a um, also called the coffee grinder. It was a converted uh, Podvils musket turned into a breech loader, and it had a really lousy bolt in the back that you'd pull open. You'd put in your your uh, your paper cartridge. Um, it, it's really it, just a terrible rifle by any measure, but it was what the Bavarians had. And then very close to the war, uh, they, they had maybe armed maybe a regiment, maybe two regiments with a new rifle, which was arguably the best rifle of the war. That was the Werder. Um, the Werder was a falling block, kind of a modified falling block rifle, um, single shot. But it, if you look at one, it has two triggers on it. And one of them is a traditional trigger. You pull it, the hammer falls, it, it shoots, the, uh, shoots the, the round out of the rifle. And then there was a second trigger. You flick your finger forward, and it ejects the spent casing so you can very quickly load it. Um, the, it got the name the Lightning or the Blitz because of the uh, the ability for it to fire so quickly. But they were only used in limited numbers during the Franco-Prussian War. But when they were used, they, they had quite the reputation. Uh, um, they made him- what's, what's bigger, a battalion or a regiment? Uh, a, a regiment is, is a, uh, yeah, a regiment's bigger. Okay, so this, this is saying that due to budgetary constraints, by the time of the war, they only had four infantry battalions outfitted yeah. with the Werder. And it was yeah. primarily given to Jaeger units. So I'm guessing those were specialty troop units. Yeah. yeah. Jaeger, German for hunter, uh, they were more uh, like skirmishers, sharpshooters. Um, they, they, they had quite a... Uh, there's actually, as we talk about the other uh, uh, rifles that came after unification, we'll talk a little bit about um, how how the Jaeger up up through the uh, uh, 71 and and kind of laughably with the 7184 in Prussia had their own model. Um, but uh, really, yeah, the the Werder was was used on a very limited scale in uh, in, in the Franco-Prussian uh, in, War. Yeah, in Franco-Prussian War, much more were made later. Um, but as as Danny had pointed out, after unification, you ended up in a position where a lot of these these um, uh, rifles were brought up to Prussian standard. Um, they had a uh, the Prussians had a strong desire to make sure that everyone used the same ammunition. I mean, it makes sense, right? You, you know, you want your army using the same ammunition because it makes resupply a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, uh, order came down to modify the Werders to 11 millimeter Mauser. And um, these were, uh, this was carried out, but it was really just a terrible conversion. And the, the, the um, 11 millimeter Mauser 
was a much more powerful cartridge than the 11 millimeter Verder that it was originally chambered in. Um, it was really hard on the action. There were a lot of problems with the conversion, and it ultimately ended in failure, where Bavaria eventually adopted the uh, M71 Mauser. Well, the Wikipedia is disagreeing with you. It's saying that they <laughs> they refused to adopt the 71 and actually didn't uh, replace the Verder until the 88. No, no, that's that's. Uh, I disagree with Wikipedia there. Um, yeah, they had uh, they they were the Verder was in full production um, by that point, but uh, the seventy one they were not quick to adopt because hey, look, we have the Verder at single shot too. We like it. Yeah, they've but already produced it. They're like, hey, you got to use our ammo. <laughs> so, and they actually it came in two phases. They had Verders that were converted, and then they had the new model Verders, which were very prussianized and they were made from the get-go with the um with the 11 millimeter mauser chambering but still it just was not a good chambering for that action mm. and uh as good as the verder was in the original caliber it was just a disappointment in the um in the new ammunition it's very so unconventional they, looking in terms mm -hmm. of it what you see is in what you would expect from this time period because a lot of Absolutely. the uh a lot of the 11 millimeter black powder rifles look very similar, uh, at least to me, because I don't. This is this is out of my area of expertise, but like, a lot of them look very similar. But this one looks weird, like yeah, it's it, got like a weird hump to it. Yeah, yeah. You have like bolt guns, you have guns with hammers, and then you have like lever guns. And then like that, falling blocks and yeah. like a falling block, yeah, like a martini, and then that, yeah. And then so yeah, it is different. So the, this was very much on the falling block family tree, but but with some pretty significant modifications. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the so the Verder, um, you know, you'll see them out in the market. They're uh, really any Verder is is not not common by any stretch. Um, you tend to see more of the Prussian converted ones. Uh, but uh, if you find one in the Bavarian caliber, that that's a pretty special find. I, I found one a few years ago and I was, I was pretty excited about it because they, so, so many of them were not, were, would have, uh, would have been subjected to conversion. So this one, who knows how it escaped that, but it did. And, you know, I've seen a few others like it, but, but they're certainly rare. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think like the the most people think of this time period as just the Germans switching over to the to the Mauser mm -hmm. instead of uh, instead of just kind of the various countries trying trying what they can. Well, I think this is something um, we'll run into multiple times here, which is a case of of sunk cost, which is they've yeah. already tooled this up. They've already it's already been trialed. It's already been proven. They even use it in a war, and they're like, "No, why would we change this?" And yeah. like, like, we're <laughs> yeah. not going to pay to do yeah. this again. So what yeah. does change it? What changes the whole landscape? Smokeless. Well, we'll yes. get to that. But yeah, yeah, that's, we that's, will. That's but this is still 1869. Black powder. Yeah. In the black powder age, it's still, yeah, kind of all everyone's trying to figure and out. the. Danny's heard my hot take about 11 millimeter black powder rifles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll get to it here in a bit. But you've heard it before. Okay. I mean, so 
Yeah, the the uh, the thing about uh, again, we we haven't even talked about Saxony uh, or Württemberg, all all these other principalities. They uh, so Sac um, Württemberg and uh, uh, Baden and um, I believe uh, Hesse all uh, had what was called the Union Rifle um, because the three of them kind of got together and designed a rifle and it, you know rifled musket. Uh, oh, Saxony yeah, I see it here. It's, it, yeah, it's 1856 in 54 caliber. It's a mini ball. Yeah, basically. yep, yeah, ba yeah. Basically, a rifled musket. Um, Saxony was was in a very similar boat. Um, Is this just you due know, to finance, like budgetary issues? Yeah, it, it. The thing that you'll see a lot of with German states, especially with muskets, is they really didn't have the capability to make their own weapons. So, like one of the um, one of the uh, Saxon rifled muskets I have was produced in Belgium because they the Belgians had the capability to manufacture them. You know, Saxony really they had it. Yes, they had an arsenal in Dresden, but they had they had uh, outsourced uh, outsourced the production because they they uh, it just wasn't conducive to make domestically. Um, you, you obviously had the uh, the Royal Rifle Factory in in Württemberg. Which eventually was purchased by the Mauser brothers after the state arsenal was shut down after unification. So you, I have uh, muskets, uh, uh, carbines, uh, even a needle rifle that was um, that was uh, built at Obendorf before it was Mauser. So uh, kind of neat to see how that that arsenal was repurposed later to a private company. Yeah, I, I still it's so hard to wrap my head around that they would. That these countries, after unification, adopted front stuffers to, to get by. That's I mean, just, this, that's just wild. This country, after unification, adopted the Reich's revolver. It's a single yeah. action with a safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, I'm trying to stay. I'm trying to keep out of pistols because that's a whole. That's a whole oh, deal. And carbines too, because there are some really wacky stuff that happened with carbines uh, after unification, including yeah. use of old uh, chassepots that were cut down and converted to eleven millimeter. The, yeah. the the Saxons were a little bitter because they had just spent a bunch of money making a nice breech loader uh, cavalry carbine, and suddenly they had to figure something out that was a little more modern, had a metallic cartridge, so. But um, I, I digress. I could talk about the uh, 1860s and 70s for hours. So uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. On, why don't we move on to the one that most people know of, at least if you're somewhat aware of, of German history, which is the 1871 Mauser. Yes. Yes. So the first yeah, time yeah. is this the first time Mauser gets adopted by a country? Like this is his first design that's adopted by somebody. It, um, it was. It was the first, um, yeah, ma major uh, uh, contract because you know you had him tinkering around with some of those uh, prototype designs, but this was, yeah, th this was kind of the big game changer for them as a company. Um, the uh, the Mauser, the rifle itself, uh, it was produced by several different makers. Um, you know, Germany was trying to rearm, get a get a more modern rifle. Uh, you had uh, obviously a bit of a wake-up call when you saw how superior the the Chassepo was to the uh, to the uh, uh, Dreiza, and you had production begin. Um, you know, with the Prussian arsenals, with uh, you know Mauser Obendorf, 
obviously uh, had a contract as well. M- Mauser Obendorf's production, though, remember, they were still a pretty small company. So th- their production really went to Württemberg uh, because that's that's the state that they were located in. And Mauser licensed the design to the Prussian arsenals. Obviously, the main Prussian arsenal was Spandau uh, right outside of Berlin. Uh, they, they certainly made their share of 71s. Uh, you had uh, also some private contractors. Um, this is one that a lot of people don't know, but uh, National Arms and Ammunition in Birmingham, uh, uh, England, was actually contracted to make several, like over 100,000 uh, M71s. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they basically, the, the Prussians uh, eventually, uh, they took delivery of some, but they said to others they weren't going to take delivery of because they didn't think the standards were high enough. Probably just an excuse to get out of buying all of them now that they were ramped up. Um, you have to remember manufacturing at the time, too, was not as it is today. Um, interchangeable uh, parts were not fully implemented. Uh, The British were really light years ahead of the Prussians in that regard, so it makes sense they would have gone to a British company for this. The Prussians and the Brits were still pretty pretty warm at this point. Um, You you didn't have uh, uh, Vili II kind of screwing that up yet. And you also had... uh, um, you know, them trying to modernize uh, now that they were this big industrial power. Um, so basically, aside from national arms and ammunition, you had uh, uh, they were some were contracted from Steyr in Austria. Um, yeah. You also had uh, the um, um, some uh, Dreisa, the company Dreisa in Samerda uh, started making 71s. They're, they're pretty rare. Um, but they were uh, eventually that contract was transitioned over to uh, the Erfurt Arsenal, uh, which is in uh, Thuringia in Germany. That that was kind of the se- one of the secondary arsenals, um, but but a very large one. Uh, it it uh, made up for or, or was the replacement for the old Sarn Arsenal, which which made needle rifles. If you ever see a Sarn, uh, Erfurt replaced it, and then of course you have Danzig. Danzig was uh, in East Prussia. It was kind of the heartland of where the uh, where the Prussians had a stranglehold on power. Um, so naturally, Danzig was a big arsenal and produced a large number of 71s. Um, you also have uh, the 71 began in uh, you know much later in Bavaria, uh, but still they they adopted it and they they made many. Uh, M71s. In fact, the Amberg M71 is probably the most common. Uh, we don't know why, because others made as much as them, or as many as them, but uh, for whatever reason, Ambergs, you, you will see probably 10 Ambergs before you see a Spandau. You'll probably see 20 Ambergs before you see a Danzig, and maybe even more than that before you see an Erfurt. Um, so, very very wide array of makers for them but the rifle itself was a pretty simple design right it was for the when you look at it from our lens it was a single shot it had uh it didn't have an ejector at least uh at least uh you know the, in, in what we think of it you'd have you had an extractor which would pull the round out but the soldier would have to pull the spent casing out and load it uh the ejector didn't come until uh until later um the uh, the length 
obviously at the time rifles were pretty long you the thought was that the longer barrel meant better accuracy um the metallic cartridge was new um but it was a you know it was it was pretty well received in my in you know from everything i've seen um but it was ultimately sort of the kickoff of of modern arms in germany as we think of them that's uh four and a half feet long yeah it's long 53 inches long uh it weighs almost 10 pounds uh and the barrel itself is 33.6 inches long so yeah and it's still shorter than a uh drysa you know yeah, the, the M- is even M- bigger. I've seen is like five feet long or something it's ridiculous yeah it's not the longest rifle in my safe yeah my my uh snyder is longer gonna, yeah yeah yep some of the older ones were longer still muskets are a little bit longer i think uh in many cases uh again because the thought was that the longer barrel would help accuracy yeah <clears throat> so moving forward uh from the from the 71 is because that's such an interesting era and what everybody was was coming coming up with their their guns you know like so said, i do the, i do have some compar- i do have some contemporaries at the same time period if you want to just go over them real quick yeah so, sure so just real fast we have uh uh the early verndal rifle in austria hungary uh yep. roughly the same time period it's the Werndl hulub hulub h o u h l h o l u b it's not the normal yeah, kind of the little rotating rotating yeah. uh it's um, not the Verndal kind of that people are thinking of, the the Verndal by itself. That's this is this different one. So this is like mm-hmm. if we're saying the same time period of 1870s. Mm-hmm. And then uh the Martini Henry, uh yep. also the Enfield Martini, um, and then uh the Gras, uh uh the Italian Vetterli, uh it's around the same time oh, yeah. period. The Jarman, Jarman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Norwegian. Yeah. Uh, the Berdan yeah. rifle, mm-hmm. and then in the U.S. Which, the Springfield Model 1884. Yeah. So, and actually, the U.S. late in the game there, a little bit late in the game, getting an uh, an 1884. Yeah, yeah that's sort of a repeat. Of course, the the Yarman is also 1884 as well. So, um, uh, also like uh, Spanish uh, rolling blocks. Yeah, the like rolling, hard, like, rolling blocks are there's coming. There's a bunch of right? rolling blocks. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody and their mother adopted a rolling yeah, the block. Rolling blocks work because they work. Yeah, yeah. can't argue <laughs> that for work. a single shot. It's not a bad design. I think if I had domestic design of the U.S. military doesn't really. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> like of those, man. You're like you could have those or a rolling block. You're like, well, I mean, you could have a rolling block. <laughs> So in fifty seventy, like something big, you know, and yeah, yeah. I've got to say, um, in terms of all the ones we mentioned, uh, with maybe the exception of the Gras, but like these, these are starting to where you start to see like what the modern rifle shape is. Where like you start to see like okay, you start to see a modern bolt mm-hmm. action right modern because uh, this is obviously not modern anymore, but like you start to see what we consider to be a bolt-action rifle take shape. Like the Drysa mm-hmm. is k- kind of, but also like no. 
If you, yeah, if you've operated a Drysa, it, it operates very differently right. than a bolt-action rifle. You have to cock the bolt. You have to, you know, the needle, the, the way the needle protrudes into the into the cartridge is, is very different. Yeah, so the 71, I think, is one of the first ones, at least for me, it, it has been it has been like, okay, this is where we start to get to the modern era of, like, understanding what designs work and what doesn't. Because, mm-hmm. like, like everybody said, um, we talked about smokeless there for a second, but like the metallic cartridge is also a huge leap in terms of uh, design, in terms of what we can and what isn't possible. And the metallic cartridge really cemented the idea like, oh yeah, we can not do a breech loader or not a breech loader, a, a muzzle loader. And it actually is a good idea. Like, let's keep yeah. doing this. And that's, yeah. I think, was the one of the kickstarts to the idea of, oh, let's try to let's where all these because it's 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 just really weird when you when you go back and you look and everybody has like if you look at world war one and world war two they all have different calibers they're all really really different in terms of size and 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 speeds and whatever but at this era they're almost all of them 11 millimeter they're all different slight variations but they're all roughly the same size so it's like everybody's got the same playing field we're all yeah. just kind of focusing on the mechanics of how we deliver that bullet, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it converge in evolution almost. It's very um, weird, actually, yeah. every time yeah. I've thought about it, because there's like there's like 30 or 40 different versions of 11 millimeter across the yeah, board. Yeah. Well, two, something that you probably don't think of as weight. So, like, as far as bullets are concerned, you got to pack them. And there is no... There's no railroads for some of this. Like you gotta carry this shit. Yep. So let's make something that's big and dumb and slow and hurts as small as we can. Like there's a there's like core, you know, like this is good and this is good and this is good. And it's like, oh, we'll just do this right here. You know? Like Yeah. So, you know, you could have a 75 caliber bolt action. Why? But you could because you have to you know, lead's heavy. Right. Well, you go from the the mini. Well, like muskets are typically fifty to fifty ish, fifty to sixty ish, yeah. roughly. And and that's just a rough given. I don't really know much about yeah. them. So then, and then we just kind of they realized, oh, actually, with this, we can we can compress it, we can make it smaller, and they're starting to get on the idea of it going faster as well. They're like, we can actually. And consistency too, so we don't have to worry about you know this soldier packed a little bit more in this one versus that one and this one and that one and and, and so you get you get consistency and you get kind of that kind of thing going on and and um, I just think it's very interesting because this is the part of I think this is a lot of of history that gets looked over a lot in the U.S. because it it's not a major conflict or anything that we were ever involved in so a lot of this stuff is really just and it's also black powder. So it tends to just be pushed aside for the more interesting things, quote unquote. And so some of the stuff too that's not considered as um, gas seal. Yeah, a gas seal. Oh, so like like a Dryza has no gas seal. It's it's a well, cone. Well, not not, and then not it, factory. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. After after um, observing the gas seal on the Chassepo, they yeah. actually a they, they did what was called the Beck conversion. On the on the Drysas, that it added a um, a metal plate 
with a um, kind of a, a washer that that sort of sealed it, and it significantly enhanced the performance. But that was just borrowed time for the Dryza. So, yeah. uh, but still neat that they thought to do that. So they thought that having the bottleneck in the cartridge would help, uh, like, assist you with gas seal. And Luger's actually have a small neck in their chamber for help for that. It's really tiny, but it's there. Yeah. So just that's something that like, oh, yeah, we're going to 11. All right, well, let's make it a little bigger. So it has a little bit of a bottleneck. So that way we get that good gas seal when the brass case or copper case expands. Mm. So so something so I my saw. Probably, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Danny. Um, it's probably like one of my favorite like parts of this era and like farms development is the like the magazine development. And sort of how that plays into the different actions, you know, because uh, there's lots of early on, there's lots of little weird designs of, uh, of, of magazines, you know, like how do you how do you store all these extra rounds on the gun and then get them into the action? So you see some like gravity fed conversions, you know, like kind of slaps onto the side of the gun and drops in uh, and then kind of, you know, tubes, I think, kind of become come king there for. For a few short years, um, two magazines were kind of the... Probably about 10, 15 years for sure. Yeah. Karpacek really, really sold a lot of tube magazine designs, I think, mm -hmm. with his stuff. Yeah, and I think, so 68, the, the Swiss Vetterly, when the, with their tube magazine, I think was like the first one that I can think of. Like that was that like a major adoption. Yeah, that and that was sort of the the direction at the time because that integral box magazine, you know, really it was uh, um, later on that mm -hmm. that that really took off. But at the time, tube magazines were were really it. They had uh, the Prussians um, in particular um, were you know obviously they wanted to have a repeater. Uh, Mauser had experimented a little bit um, on on different designs. There's actually a uh, uh, one rifle that uh, had sort of an experimental stamp metal weird magazine um, that, that they were playing around with. There was a, uh, the 7182 was sort of a prototype design that Mauser had worked on. And then uh, you ultimately got the 7184, which was the first repeater that, that had been adopted by Germany. And, you know, that... Obviously, it's a rifle that doesn't get a lot of attention or a lot of love. But if you're looking to get a mint German rifle, that's that's the one to get because there's mm -hmm. so many of them out there. Well, and it's um, also it also gets even the the name even co-ops it like it's a separate rifle. Like it's not the yeah. same thing. And it's yeah. like oh, it's not it's not a conversion. It's a new production. Yeah, yeah. Out of the box, they didn't convert them. Um, and they were they were a creature. It's it's interesting. So. It, the four arsenals made them, uh, Spandau, um, er Erfurt, uh, Danzig, and Amberg. But also, there was a very small contract for Wertenberg uh, with uh, Mauser. Th those are pretty hard to find. Um, they're, they're, uh, they only made about 20,000 of them. Um, but uh, it, that's really it. They, significantly fewer makers than the 71. I think... Uh, you know, my I, I forgot to mention my favorite seventy-one maker, the the Sewell Consortium, uh, uh, Spangenberg and Sauer, C.J. C.G. Heinel, and uh, uh, V.C. Schilling. But uh, they they're probably the hardest hardest ones to find on the seventy-one side. 
But uh, back to the 7184, the the cool part about it is really if you ever take one apart, the precision in the in the engineering and the the little the little small components, um, it, it almost feels like a Swiss watch when you take it apart. It's probably one of my least favorite rifles to take apart because oh. of of all the all the components you have to remove the tube you have to um you have to pull it out of the stock it, it, it's it, it's a lot more cumbersome to take apart than the 71 and then you got to make sure you put it back together right like if you don't have the tube all the way in the right way it won't you you won't be able to get it in the stock right um but it's it's still it's neat to take apart and actually look at it from the inside out even just the basic field stripping is that much harder on the 7184? I, I would say so. The 71 is, I mean, I could take those apart in my sleep, but the uh, 7184 is just, it, it's just a little bit more cumbersome to take apart. Well, another thing too is that a lot of the times, I don't know about Prussia and Germany in this era, but a lot of the countries that I know of, like France and, and Austria-Hungary, they didn't want the individual troops touching the rifles like that like so mm -hmm. that idea of easy to field strip is not a thing they weren't supposed to do that so like the bertier gets a lot of flack because it has a screw that you have to take out like but that's by design like they don't want yeah. you to take it apart because you'll lose shit and they don't want you to yeah. do that yeah i mean you you would have a you know a, a regular farm boy or whoever that was doing this that wasn't like they were a trained armorer it's like i mean we're looking yeah. at it as collectors that are educated on this and oh yeah that's easy to take that apart but you know if you hand it to the average german soldier hey take apart your bolt they're probably going to be like huh what yeah that's a that's a much more modern concept of 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 the soldiers themselves being able to rudimentarily clean the weapon but like Back in the day, like you did not touch the stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can take yeah. it apart in your well lit room with your table. Yeah, go outside, take it apart in your yard. Yeah, like oh, in man. the daytime, do it at night. Oh, yeah, 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 that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do it by candlelight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, start Love a small it. fire. And, oh, it's hard enough just to load your gun in the pitch black, like a like an old gun like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had a. Uh, um, also, you, you look at it from. You'll see these these rifles that get listed on on Gunbroker or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, look, the German soldier carved his initials on the stock." No, that German soldier most certainly uh, did not carve their initials on the stock. They had extremely strict regulations. You probably would have been beaten, thrown in the brig, and probably made to write an apology letter to that rifle if you had carved your initials into the and, stock. And probably so that, paid for it too. Yeah. Like you, yeah, yeah. They probably would have made you made you pay for the thing too. So it, it was, uh, it, it just didn't happen. So that's that's really just fud lore. And usually, what happens if there's initials carved in it? Is it was post war? If it's like a K ninety eight K that went to another country after after the war, or if it was uh, maybe the vet brought it back. Like I've got a couple Gewehr ninety eights that will have you know vets names you know carved into the mm -hmm. into the stock or their service number or something like that. That that's a different story. But the German soldiers most certainly wouldn't have done that. There was no trench art on stocks. There was no trench art on their weaponry or equipment. That just that just didn't happen. So I want to yeah. bring this up to just so people are aware. 
the, the one of the big innovations that Mauser makes with the 1871 is the safety. And this yeah. is this is the this is the origin of the iconic Mauser safety. This is where it Mauser starts. Like safety, yeah. yeah. So this is this is where this this was a requirement from the German government. They said you need to come up with a safety for this and then we'll adopt it. And they did, and this is the the safety that most everybody knows now is the Mauser safety came from this rifle. So that's a that's a huge achievement in terms of um what everybody has recognized because it really according to what i'm reading here did not change the the fundamental design was basically the same as it was when they when they started with the 71 yeah yeah to be to be used for 70 years you know yeah. and and that lineage that's that's kind of yeah, incredible you know, for, for uh, safety yeah. mechanism yeah the the safety was was certainly uh the big contribution from the 71 and then later on the the five round box magazine was the uh, was the big contributor from the uh, model ninety eight. But those two things, it was kind of like the the kidney grill on the BMW. Uh, it it just stayed stayed as part of the design from then on. So, do you yeah. want to go into the? We're not going to need necessarily go into huge detail, but they are there is the Jaeger M seven ones, and then there's also uh, it looks like there was an attempt to do a carbine. But they yes. never really fully adopted it too much, or did, it, well, did, they, it did adopt it, they, but it, it was slow to adopt. Yeah. yeah, it was slow to adopt. So I'll, I'll speak to the Jaeger rifle uh, quickly. The um, there was a um, sort of a warrior ethos uh, with the with the Jaegers and the especially the Prussian Jaegers and those that sort of reported through the army, um, the Prussian army. They always had a history of having their own rifle. You go back and look. They had uh, uh, Jaeger rifles, which were basically really early rifled muskets that date back even to the Revolutionary War era. Um, they used a patched bullet. They had superior accuracy. They were given to sharpshooters. Um, but uh, that tradition continued. And when the 71 came out, you know, there were Dreises that were Jaeger models. When the, when the 71 came out, the Jaegers got a slightly shorter version. Um, that had a a more ornate uh, iron trigger guard with a with a finger finger grasping uh, uh, kind of hook there, and uh, slightly shorter, few other little minor modifications to it, and it most importantly had a rear sling loop that was drilled into the stock on the other uh, on the underside. Um, the regular seventy one had a, had a rear sling loop that was uh, uh, part of the trigger guard. But uh, th this Jaeger sling loop uh, became an important distinguishing factor in addition to the other minor changes to the rifle. Um, if you find a Jaeger, they, they were made by three only three of the makers. Um, one of them was uh, Danzig. Um, probably most commonly, you'll see them from Steyr. Um, they, they were, uh, were subcontracted from Austria. Uh, and then also, Mauser made a very small number of Jaeger rifles um, for for Württemberg, um, but uh, they're much less common. I've read the statistic that fewer than ten percent of of uh, seventy one production uh, rifles were Jaeger models. Um, you can also see on the side rail instead of JG uh, Infantry Gewehr uh, model seventy one, it actually says uh, B mod seventy one. Uh, that's the that's the Jaeger designation. Um, but uh, much rarer, 
I like them. They're a lot more handy. They're shorter. They're I, I like the way that your your fingers kind of grasp into the trigger guard a little bit better. Um, it, it, it's just a much more elegant piece. Um, you can tell that these guys really took pride in having their their separate model from the regular invent, uh, infantry units. Um, Sounds a little bit like the origins of the short rifle, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That, that I think that played into it. Obviously, these guys were skirmishers. They were they were more light infantry, more more skilled sharpshooters. Um, they wanted something maybe a little bit more compact. Um, if you look at the trigger guards on some of these Jaeger rifles um, from Napoleonic times, or some of the uh, some of the percussion uh, muskets, they, they just they have a distinct look to them. And and this really carried forward. Um, the the funny thing though, before I get into the carbine, when you look at the seventy one eighty four, when that rifle came out, the Jaegers were kind of mad that they didn't have a separate model because they just came up with a one size fits all approach for that. So they they really stomped their feet and pouted. So the Prussian Jaeger units were issued a slightly modified 7184 and literally the only change was they added that they added an extra sling loop drilled into the stock that that gave them that separate distinct appearance so every once in a while you'll see a Jaeger 7184 they're they're uh they're not as well known because it's really just such a small minor difference but they're typically uh Spandaus I think those are the only ones that I've seen and the ones that I've seen typically went to more prestigious Jaeger units, like the Guard uh, Jaeger Battalion. Um, they were they were kind of an elite unit, um, and some of the other kind of higher echelon uh, Prussian Jaegers, probably the ones with the biggest egos and the ones that were stomping their feet the most about having a separate model. Yeah, so. I feel like it's a. <laughs> those early german ones like there's there seems to be a lot of little weird variants like that that i wasn't aware of at first because just sort of dipping your toe into like german black powder rifles it's just like there's a 71 71 84 and it's like yeah no then there's lots of little variations yeah that that seems to be like the holdover from them being all independent is like oh no we want this to be slightly different and this to be slightly different so like the base thing's the same, but so slightly different. So everybody feels okay. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a little, say, bit, a little bit of pandering to the to the whiny, uh, whiny elite guard. <laughs> so what about the uh, the carbiner? Yeah. So the carbine was um, they they kind of rushed right to the rifle with regard to development, and they knew, okay, we're using Dreisa carbines, which if you've ever seen that, it kind of looks like it's a dwarven musket or something from Warhammer. <laughs> it's tiny. It's It's got a terrible recoil. Um, they really weren't that effective of, of, uh, of a weapon in that period of time now. So they knew, hey, we need a stopgap. We need something so that if we go to war again, our troops have something modern. So they went through, a in Prussia, a pretty comprehensive program and converted, uh, they brought home a couple hundred thousand chassis from the Franco-Prussian War. They cut them down into carbines, converted them to 11 millimeter Mauser, and used them as a stopgap while they developed a 71 carbine. Um, the 71 carbine was eventually completed, it was adopted, and it, it served well until the 88 carbine was, uh, was uh, implemented later on. 
but uh, the the seventy one carbines were produced. Uh, uh, Spandau was one of them. You also had Mauser made a small number for Obendorf. Those are among the rarest carbines you can find. Uh, Steyer made a ton of them. Mm. Uh, you also had uh, the Sewell Consortium. Uh, you know, Sauer, um, Schilling, and uh, Heinel. Uh, made some as well, particularly for Bavaria. I think actually all the ones they made were for Bavaria. Um, they got the Bavarians also made some out of spare parts that were left over from Steyr that might have an Amberg stamped on them, but really they're not an Amberg carbine. Um, but really, they the, these uh, carbines they're significantly smaller than the rifle. You guys have probably seen them. Um, they have a bent bolt. Um, they have kind of a little nose cap with the uh, with the sight ears on it that you that you will see on the eighty eight carbines as well, and they're nice, they're handy. They've got a little a little smaller size sight. Um, I, I like the seventy one carbines. They're they're one of my favorite uh, favorite carbine models. I I you know I have several of them and and uh, they're fun to shoot, fun to handle. They're very uh, very wieldy compared to the long rifle. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they were, uh, they were a little late to the game though, compared to the rifle. Yeah. So I think that moves us right into the sort of smokeless revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, it's like, there's kind of all these things. Yeah. You kind of, in, in sort of unified Germany's early history, you have the rush to cartridges, you know, and then you have sort of the, the magazines trying to, oh, oh, how do we get these and as many of them in the gun as possible in the best way. And then right after they kind of figure out a magazine, then, you know, you have the, you have the, the French eight millimeter smokeless cartridge, and then you have a, a whole nother kind of round of, oh shit, what do we do? And um, yeah. I love, I love the, uh, the sort of drama behind the, the, the German commission with, as far as like Paul Mauser and how that just really inspired him to uh, to come back with other you know other designs, but I guess they talk just a scored a goal because uh, Jared's flipping his shit out over there. No, they the Ottawa scored a goal and they overturned it because the guy was offside. So. Oh, okay. Well, let's oh, see. I hate it. Hate it when that happens. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? It's the only sport that matters. All the other ones are stupid. I so you're almost you're basically Canadian up there. Yeah, they well, yeah, I'm really, not really. <laughs> Hockey, hockey, uh, to all my hockey friends, it's a way of life. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, really the, the Germans, you know, they had that, uh, as you said, sort of the old, oh shit moment when the French had smokeless powder. Um, they were doing all kinds of crazy things with gun cotton, with, with other, uh, experimental, uh, propellants. But, uh, you know, ultimately they, uh, uh, say again. I just I thought I was on mute. I love that they use oh. gun cotton. Yeah, I just think it's it, funny. It, like, it, oh. They're trying to use it, it pretty much yeah. come up with smokeless powder in any way they could. What's about a but small the, amount uh, of dynamite? Yeah, let's put this explosive <laughs> shit in a gun and see if it makes a poof. And if it poofs, yeah. it'll work. Though. Yeah, it'll work. If not, <laughs> oh, oh well. Uh, next, yeah. next, we'll, we'll we'll try the next guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, with the really the. Uh, Paul Mauser really was uh, kind of got a little upset about the uh, for the first time you go back to when the uh, the um, 
the Germans were adopting a uh, uh, revolver, and he really wanted them to adopt his revolver. He he was he was lobbying hard. He was uh, he was trying. You know, the zigzag is is the, uh, the one I'm referring to. And ultimately, the Prussians went with the uh, M79 uh, Reich's revolver instead. Yeah, it's a, I, I call it, everyone calls it the Reich's revolver. It was really just the Model 79 revolver. Um, Reich's revolver is really just a, uh, a collector term. But he was really just disappointed that they didn't use his design. Um, he got some of the contracts to produce the uh, M79 and later the 83. That was kind of the recompense for them not going with his design, but I think he was pretty bitterly disappointed. Um, with yeah. regard to the, 80, the 88, though, really, uh, Mauser at the time, they were elbow deep in uh, in other contracts, and really, they, they uh, well, I'm sure if the Prussians had taken one of their designs, they would have been fine, but the, the Ottoman contract was, I think, the single biggest contract they had had at that point. And, uh, you know, they were, they were certainly, uh, they, they ended up, uh, staying busy, but, yeah, that's uh, what Morrow mentioned when he was on, when he yeah. was talking about Mauser and history is that the Ottoman contract was, was a huge deal for them. And it was like their main focus. So I know there's a lot of drama in the fact that, and, and it seems weird because we, uh, most people associate Mauser with Germany, uh, and, that they that they didn't use Mauser for this, but obviously the political aspect of it. But then, um, the the fact that he was like very focused on the production for the Ottomans, and then like right after you have like the Belgians, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. And and then uh, soon after you get the Argentinians, you get the Spanish. So like. Like yeah. Mauser, Mauser wasn't hurting for money. <laughs> yeah, well, and and really, he had to lever the company pretty pretty significantly to deliver some of these large contracts. Yeah, this sort that, of getaway company. Yeah, and that's how yeah. he sort of got got sort of the outside investors that that ended up taking control. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, hostile takeover of his own yeah. company because he sort of. He, he uh, yeah, he, he didn't, leveraged it. In he, the way he didn't he really did. do. He didn't have the the business savvy for that. Like as far as how to well, handle that, he just got a loan, and Lova bought the loan and just did a hostile takeover based on that from the bank. But yeah. like the bank that he got the loan from, if they would have just been a bank and let him, you know, make payments or whatever, and not taken over his company, so I feel like they kind of did him dirty a little bit with that. But what's your well, take on that? And yeah, and later, you know, really where it it uh, got nasty with the eighty eight was, you know, look, you had you had this commission that designed it and then ultimately Lova was the the lead firm for the production of it. You know, it was obviously licensed um you know to other or contracted to other entities. You had uh, Steyer made some mainly to appease them for ripping off uh, Monlicker's uh um design on the M block clip. But then also you had uh you had uh, the arsenals, which produced some. You had carbines that were produced in Seoul. But uh, with the first, obviously, going to smokeless was a game changer. Uh -huh. And when you do a big technological leap like that, there's going to be problems. So in some of the early 88s, there were problems with the uh, with the barrels. 
Um, you know, some I've read a couple different conflicting views on it, but the the thought was maybe it was something to do with the steel or the rifling. Um, but in any case, there were barrels that were wearing out too fast and some that were catastrophically failing. And when that came out, there there was, uh, I think his name was uh, Alvart, uh, he, his last name. He was a member of the Reichstag and, and he was, uh, you know, raging anti-Semite. And obviously Ludwig Lova was, was, was a Jew. So you started to get this big, crazy conspiracy theory about, okay, this guy, this Jewish guy did us dirty. He, he sold out Germany so that he could make money. And you had this pamphlet that hit the market. Um, the pamphlet was called the uh, Judenflinte, Jew rifle, basically. And it railed about how Lova was corrupt. The German military sold us out. They're making crappy weapons and, they took it even a step further. They, you know, he was, uh, Alvart was trying to say in his pamphlet that this was intentional by, by, by the Jews to weaken Germany, give them a bad rifle that would fail in battle so that their enemies could defeat them. And then Germany falls. And that's what the, that's what the Zionists wanted or whatever. Um, ultimately it, you know, he, he ended up getting thrown in jail. I think, uh, Alvart for, for libel, um, for writing this thing, it's it's actually the the pamphlet itself. You you know it's uh, it's talked about extensively in um, in uh, Doctor Storrs's book, but uh, you know the pamphlet, you know it really uh, um, cast a cloud over the production of the eighty eight and the idea that it was also not designed by Mauser. It was, um, you know, you you took a clip loading system that was taken from the from an Austrian design. It just, it, there was never really a lot of love for the eighty eight, and and I think that's a shame mm-hmm. because once they figured out the steel problems, you'll see some of them that are stamped NM for new material, basically in in German. Um, they worked out the problems. They got the rifling uh, right on the barrels. And it really is. If you've ever shot an eighty-eight, they are they are nice rifles. They they perform well compared to contemporary rifles. But they have this this sort of they're maybe not the most attractive rifle. And then you had all the uh, all the hubaloo about them being bad rifles. And then of course you got all the fud lore about them. Which depending on how much time you guys have, we can talk about the fud lore yeah. about the eighty-eights because there is a lot of it. Uh, you My- know. My personal favorite is uh, Spitzers. My personal yeah. favorite is the um, uh, well, this has a Monlicker stock and bolt. No, it doesn't. It just has a full length stock and a and a, like a spoon bolt. No, that's yeah. a Monlicker thing. Okay, what year's the rifle? This is a you know a 1903. Okay, and I hand him my 1890 that has the the like the date on it. I'm like, then what's this? Yeah. And there's like it's just crickets, and I'm like, yeah, read a fucking book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the mon- yeah. I almost mentioned when you were talking about the the 71 carbine of like the the mon liquor in quotations. Yeah, uh, stock. Uh, it's that it's that nose cap that you know so so forward to the front. But but the 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 1888, I feel like is just it's like the 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 black sheep of sheep of German rifles. Uh, not quite as overlooked as the 7184. Because there was no, you know, major conflict in the short window that it was used, 
you know, it did get pulled into World War One, sort of as an emergency. Significantly. And, and I will say, uh, Danny, the um, the 88, like a lot of people don't like the 88. Oh, it wasn't really used or rear echelon units used it in World War One. But actually, it was significantly used, at least through 1916. There were there were probably more 88s out there than 98s in the field with frontline units. Um, and, uh, you know, as a result, a lot of them were used up and, and you know, beat the crap and, and all that in the trenches. So, you know, matching yeah. 88s are something, you know, you want to you want to buy if you see one. Um, yeah. But. But but with it, with the 88, it, it was, um, you know, obviously the first introduction of what we call eight millimeter Mauser. It was the 88 Patron was the official name for the cartridge. It had that nice kind of dull, dull nose. It wasn't pointed um, yeah. and it was in the five round end block clips. But once once that uh, once that the 98 came about, you have sort of this um, this era where the 98 looked like it was the way of the future, and then you had a major conflict. So what ultimately happened is in uh, 1905, after the um, Germans updated their ammunition, uh, one thing people don't realize is, you know, the Gewehr 98 was originally chambered in 88 Patron. Um, it had a 200-meter sight, and it was, um, it was um, later on, they were converted to the new S Patron ammunition, what what some people will call, you know, the Spitzer round, but that's really not not a official designation at all. Um, but the eighty eight, since they figured, hey, we've got we've got this new ammo now, let's bring the eighty eight up to date. So you had the eighty eight oh five, which we see a lot of them because they sent a lot of them to Turkey. But yeah, the, yeah. the 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 eighty eight oh five. Seems like most 88s I see are 8805s. You'll see a lot of them, and then the ones that weren't converted, um, you know, they kind of hung around. But but some of those were sent to South American countries, sold on the surplus market pre World War One. Um, so really, a lot of them were updated in one way or another. But you still see ones that that weren't updated that served in World War One. I've I've got a few um, that are you know pretty much. Standard, you know, they maybe got the uh, they got the wartime dust cover added to the magazine, um, but they're otherwise unmodified 88s. Um, but the the big misnomers about, especially the 8805, are a couple things. And if you want me to myth bust, I can. Hold on, hold on. Before I de- I need to go uh, put my kids to bed, and I'll come back. But okay. I, I wanted to to talk about this real quick before we get off the 88, and then by the time I come back, they'll be off the 88. Um, good. Uh, we compared the contemporaries of the 71 and the contemporaries of the 88 I think the 88 actually might be one of if not the best response to the introduction of Smokeless Yeah, because, because the label is garbage I'm not going to yeah. argue that the 88 uh, runs, brings around the label. So the label is garbage because it's not it wasn't designed for the smokeless. It was literally just the Kirkpatrick and they just like make it smokeless. And <laughs> then um so the US goes for the crag, uh, which was another issue like you talked about, and maybe not as big, but uh definitely a lot of anti American sentiment when the US adopts a, a non American design. Um, that's way later too. Yeah, so that's eighteen ninety two. 
so that's they get they get even longer time period to figure this out and they pick something that's super like obscure in terms of that um let's see uh the austro-hungarians just basically take the 1886 and convert it to eight millimeter and go with that and and they and then that's essentially what they do uh, they they improve the the round a little bit, make it a little bit. Uh, they was semi smokeless at first, and then it's full smokeless. So you see some minor updates along the way, but it's still the 1886 uh, design falling block action. Um, and then uh, the 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 British, which uh, the one of the infields, right? Um, I don't know Long, which one. Longly. The Longly. MLE. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think people would argue the MLE is a pinnacle of design in this period. Single uh, loaded. Uh, the Russians uh, go with the, <laughs> the M91. Yeah. Uh, which stays because fuck it, I guess. Let, uh, let's Russia. Uh, uh, the Carcano. Carcanos, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I would definitely say, yeah, that the 88 is definitely as good as stuff like the Carcano and the, the, the Mosin, you know, M91, like it's as good as those, but it's just so overshadowed by the 1898, you know, the, the, the the pinnacle Mauser design just gets completely just overshadowed. Well, that's, I think, I think a lot of people also don't contextualize this either too, is that, um, like Russia, kept the 1891 the mosin long after like way like they're they're making the 1891s in uh 1945 or 1944 and it's like that's like saying germany's still making the gavari 88 like it's same time period so like people don't yeah, have yeah. that concept of like Oh, yeah, yeah. And this some, is some ancient. Some countries made Mosins into the 50s. Yeah, yeah like this it's is like, just, this is ancient. It's, it's crazy. And the Carcano yeah, yeah. is very similar in that regard as well, is that they just either, one, didn't have the money, or two, didn't have the desire, or the expertise, or infrastructure, or whatever. Um, yeah. And, and you're like, whoa, they didn't do anything. They just kept the design. And, and I think that Germany, I think, didn't, like immediately panic and pick something that was ridiculous like trying to convert the the 7184s to to eight millimeter or some kind of smokeless cartridge they never tried that they were yeah, like, the literally um better later yeah, car, you know? yeah the, so. i was i would say the only rifle that i can think of of that generation that i would rather have is a swiss 1889 oh yeah yeah, well, there's that like, like I was thinking of like, major players because at this time period you also have the Mauser rifles yeah. as well. So you, you have, well, the, you have the I was thinking Mausers, like the, with the Spanish Mausers. Like you can argue like that's much better. Belgian eighty nine. Well, yeah. So my thinking was okay, you're gonna go to war in eighteen ninety. What's your best option? Probably the Spanish Mauser. Spanish Mauser is ninety three. Oh shit! Uh, no, isn't it ninety two? Ninety three. Ninety-three. So that, like, this is what I was thinking, Probably right? So, Belgian, like, if you the Belgian eighteen ninety or Argentine ninety-one or something, yeah, that's. So I like specifically picked eighteen ninety oh. in my brain because I was trying to like categorize all the rifles, 
and like a, a Belgian eighteen ninety would be good, or a Swiss eighteen eighty nine. I think. The, I think like these these first even even skipping forward to eighteen ninety from eighteen eighty eight. I think it's like it's too it's too much. Like these first few years, I think you kind of have to highly scrutinize to really understand because well, it was panic. Just, it was it was warp speed production and, and development. And yeah, it's and full on panic. Think, just terrified to, panic. To to give it its due, I think the eighteen eighty eight was probably the best rifle in eighteen eighty eight. All right, I, I gotta like go. Four, I'll be eight, back. Okay, okay. We might still be talking about it when you get back. Let's, okay. Yeah. I think I think eighteen eighty eight might have been the best rifle in the world in 1888 right because its main competitor the label 1888 it's definitely better than that or yeah, Mont- yeah well yeah yeah almost the same thing you know the label yeah. the projects the 1888's better the mon liquor right the the 1886 that it gets the you know the clip from it's definitely better than that because it's eight millimeter and it's smokeless um so you i think you have this very narrow time when the 1888 was probably the best rifle in the world and you know like you said chris it definitely did have its you know teething problems but and and that's what i was that's what i was thinking about when i was trying to like i'm like okay well what would i rather have and i'm like and that's i got i came to 18 i'm like okay well next year i can have a swiss rifle what after that and i forgot about the belgian so that's on me and i immediately went to argentina so I'm like, so, if it's 1890, I'm taking a Swiss gun. But if it's 1888, I'm taking that. If it's 1888, it, the that, the commission rifle is the best rifle, right? Now, I think so, yeah. Mauser did make an 1888. There is an 88 Mauser. It's got a really wonky uh, magazine, um, but it was kind of Paul Mauser clapping back at the German commission on saying like, Okay, I'll make something better right away. He comes up with his 1888 design um, and refines that then into the very classy um, 1889 design, um, which the which the Belgian adopt you know Belgium adopted the, the just the year later. So you have the Labelle, probably the best rifle that year that it was made, and then 1888 that the best rifle ever made and then the year after that the mauser 1898 probably the best rifle um it'd be kind of a hard toss-up to compare the the belgian 1889 to like the 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 swiss 1889 as far as that but the swiss rifles they're just so good it's hard to like throw them into the into the mix and being neutral and stuff now with the the hindsight of that it's 12 well my reasoning for this if you're curious is it's 12 shots it's smokeless um It's got a mag cutoff, which everybody yeah. wanted a mag cutoff. It's the only rifle, aside from the crag, that you yeah, could pack it, cut the mag off yep. and then load it. Like mm-hmm. you, it's okay. And uh, I don't know. I just that was the only thing I could think of that I was like, this is easily a winner. And that was it. So that's, yeah, that's my but, thought. But with the the eighteen eighty eight being the best rifle for at least that year. Oh yeah, just lights light speed development kind of happening. Mm-hmm. And um, Mauser and did I, this thing, which I love, which was he used South America as research and development. <laughs> like, oh, you guys hate each other? Try this gun yeah. out. Let me see how it works. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, he kind of, 
I don't know intentionally, but it just sort of happened to be he kept improving and then like people kept buying the updated versions continually. Yeah, like what was going like, on? Yeah. The the rivalry you, in South America kind of paid for it. You guys that, really hate you know, those guys? Islands. Yeah. Here's the new hotness. Like but, oh, it's it's but, like uh it's like that Stephen King movie, uh, Needful Things. He's like getting this town to tear itself apart by giving each person what they want and yeah, it's it's yeah. It, the people that say that South American Mausers have no history just don't know South American history because there were plenty yeah. of plenty of uh, conflicts. Plenty of conf- yeah, con- civil wars, conflicts, border conflicts, um, just just yeah, ton- tons of tons of little wars going on down there and um, rivalries. Um, you know, long cultural, uh, you know, national rivalries. Um, but with the the eighteen eighty eight going back to singing his praises one last time. Uh, oh, yeah. I think the, the main thing, so being probably the best rifle in the world, because I can't think of a better one in 1888. Uh, it, and what sort of, to me, shows its viability or its like longevity as a design is the fact that it was used for decades later, A, by the Germans into World War One, but mostly the Turks and, and the, the Chinese using... The, the the 1888 well into the you know into the 30s and beyond that's just yeah. uh i yeah. think i don't know like everyone knows about hot turkish eight millimeter and what do you think the turks were shooting in their in their 1888s you know yeah they didn't care not a law so yeah. uh so to me i think that that usage of the 1888 you know by those countries just kind of shows like the the longevity of the gun being able to be continuously upgraded and uh changed like that so but unfortunately completely overshadowed and and sticking with german infantry rifles you kind of have to understand what was going on with paul mauser and his development a little bit even though it's not like official german adoption yeah um so that's like that's a super neat uh period of of like mauser development really you know 1898 to uh 18 18 98 is such like this pivotal time period of, of, of Mauser development and really just like the, the, the incredible innovation and little tweaks that came out of that. And really just, you know, with the flag safety, I think that really set this, set the standard um, for, for safeties on, on both rifles for, for a long time. And then the, the, the box magazine, you know, the staggered, you know, Mauser box magazine, um, probably the biggest being the stripper clip, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the Mauser 1889 stripper clip. Yeah. That's just like, okay. Like, you know, you could argue speed wise and everything with the, with the Monlicker clip. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely some pros and cons, but, uh, I mean, just if, if you want to understand this, the best take two rifles, go outside at night and load them. Yeah. It's, it's, Omnidirectional. I mean, a, a Gavari 88 is omnidirectional, but like, it, it's omnidirectional. You can feel it. You can shove them in. You know it's good. You don't have to retrieve the clip. You just close the bolt. It is so nice and smooth. You can do it at night. Not very well, but better than a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, uh, good, good uh, example there. It, it's it's so. I know it sounds kind of stupid, but like, it's a weapon of the infantry, the infantry don't get to go home at five. 
<laughs> and like, if you're gonna go gooning around at night, like you you got to be able to load your gun. And and yeah, yeah, it it is. If you if you want to understand what I'm saying, take your rifle outside. You can put dummies in it. Load it at night. It is. You'll get it. Yeah, it is actually black. important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No moon, heavy overcast, kind of yeah, shitty yeah. out. Loaded. It's like night, night in the city, or you know, yeah, in your neighborhood is a little different than like you know. Oh yeah, out, we got out, the street out. lights going on. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Go out in the in the dark, <laughs> or turn all your lights yeah. off. You know, to, you know, turn all your lights off in your room so you have no light coming into it, and try to load it. It's yeah, pretty I, hard. I told I told this story on here probably a couple times now, but my my first tactical reenactment. You know, I'm running around with the K98K. And uh, we're out in this out in this field at night during this night battle, and I was inside of a, like a, a a mock church inside of like a mock village, and uh, I was like trying to guard it, and I shot five rounds, and I had to reload, but I I'd never reloaded in the pitch black before, and you know you kind of look down and you you're not getting any visual information. I was like, oh, oh, this is a whole different that's a whole different ball game having to you know feel feel your way around, but. That I, I probably though that might be a plus for the for the monlicker clip. Honestly, um, it might be a little bit easier to load. So I was thinking about back. like an eighteen ninety five is where my mind went. Just because Aaron's not here, so someone's got to tow the eighteen ninety five on. And they have the slant clip that's not omnidirectional, so that they have the little things on them so you can feel yeah. it. Little but, ribs that you have to feel, but if you're wearing gloves or gloves, hands are frozen, yeah, or it's cold. You're panicking, your heart's yeah. racing, you're getting shot at. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Was actually the 1895, which has the clip that's slanted. You could do it with a commission. I, I don't. I've never had to load a uh, like a Carcano or a yeah. commission rifle under duress, but or under stress. Excuse me. But like, I'm sure that would probably be better. But even then, you have to. Get it in. It has to click. Did the other clip fall all the way out? Like there, there are some things to that. Like a, well, a French gun, the clips don't fall out. Yeah, you know, yeah. with the with that World War One dust cover and the eighteen eighty eight and the original Monlicker clip, that'd be yeah. a whole thing because that's an extra step. Yeah, with the springy right? you thing. Eject, yeah, because you, you yeah. have to press the button to eject the clip mm -hmm. to reload it with the dust cover on the eighteen eighty eight. Yeah, well, here's here's an exercise. So the um, just just from what I remember from one of my firearms classes, um, you know, you're looking at a soldier in battle and the best way to simulate an adrenaline dump, you know, what happens when when adrenaline kicks in, right? You go into fight or flight mode, the blood flow stays in your torso really more than anything and, and reduces in your extremities. So if you stick your hands in ice water for about a minute, get them really cold. I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll hurt, but then go out and try and load one of those rifles that would simulate trying to load one under, under duress when you got your adrenaline going, you're freaking out. Um, and, and that, that could be an interesting, uh, interesting exercise. Of course, use dummy rounds. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a good idea. I don't know. I just, it's, it almost sounds if like you, a good video. If you video, don't yeah, do it, it does. If you don't do it, you can't argue one way or the other, I feel. If you don't have practical experience, if you try yeah. it and you think that your way is better, you tried it. Maybe it is for you. Like, that's cool. But you can give the average dude 
here, load this. Okay, we're going to turn the lights off. Okay, load this. And it's it's pretty simple. You can kind of feel your way through it. Yeah. Yeah, intuitive. Yeah. yeah it's intuitive. It's a good way to yep. say it. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the 88, it's definitely a dated design. Like, I have these um, these objective standards on what makes a good bolt action. And two, and I've gotten a little pushback only because I think th- there's people that are fans of certain designs. And so they defend certain design flaws in order to take up for these designs that they have emotional attachments to. But the two things that I point to is a, a bolt handle forward of the receiver bridge and the lack of a full connected receiver. Beautiful redirection. I think, Oops. I think our, uh, I think our, uh, kind of two big, uh, two big cons of the 88 and other designs. But like I said, other people, I think they try to downplay the, uh, the significance of that with the, like stuff like the, the, you know, the Mosin M91. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I, you know, I don't, uh, well, I love German firearms. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of fanboyism. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you that it, the Gewehr 98 is not the rifle I would want to have in world war one. If I was a soldier, I'd probably want to, uh, uh, 1917 or maybe like a car 98, but not certainly not a Gewehr 98 in a trench setting. Certainly not a Gewehr 88 in a trench setting. I did that yeah. video with Danny when I was at his house. We did that video. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Car 98 I AZ. What, I forgot what your number one is. That is that what your AZ. number one was? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Car 98 is is certainly the uh, uh, to me a, a superior rifle for the setting. Um, you know, obviously the K98K, uh, is, is an improvement over the car 98. Um, but it, still it, for its time, I, it, you know, it, it certainly outclasses the Gewehr in many, many respects. Yeah. So, but I know, uh, we kind of, um, had started talking about what was done to the 88 to prepare for world war one and, and during the war. Um, yeah, I can, I can drill down on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us, let us know. Cause it seems like there's a couple major updates that like the yeah. 05, I know is the more common one, but then there's one, the, the 1914, right? Uh, yeah, there's, there's the, uh, the, really the three big ones are the, uh, the 8805, the, uh, 88S and, and I'll talk about the 88S cause there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. And then there's also the 8814, which is the the very rare one. You, you hardly ever see them. Um, but the 8805 was done pre-war. That's another misconception. People thought, hey, maybe they were done during the war. But it, it was a pre-war conversion that was trying to bring the 88 to the more modern ammo. And what's most misunderstood about the 8805 is the fact that, the, you know, you see that uh, the receiver bridge. Um, or the receiver, rather, the receiver ring has uh, has that milled out little notch in it. How you you look at the face of the receiver? There's like a little milled oh, out notch, kind of in yeah, the shape for the of the bullet. bullet. Yeah. No, no, that is that is actually the misconception. So that was actually done if you put sucker 88 guy. Patron on a stripper clip. He suckered. And if you look, what's that? You suckered me. I'm drinking beer. I'm watching hockey, and you baited me into not paying attention, sir. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's uh, so it was modified for stripper clips. And if you put 
um, if you put the the um, S Patron, the the more modern ammo, on a stripper clip, it doesn't touch the uh, it doesn't touch the receiver at all. The uh, the receiver ring, but if you put the 88 Patron on a stripper clip, that's slightly longer, and that actually you won't be able to load it without that notch in the receiver. So uh, that that's that's exactly why that's one of the more misunderstood things. The other thing about it is that um, the rear sight is different. It was actually a new made rear sight to that was optimized for the new ammo. So you'll see a lot of them that had that were ground down, and you have the um, the Eastern Arabic numbers put on them for Turkey. Um, but that that was originally a new rear sight that had uh, um, Western numbers on it, and it was optimized for that new ammo. So the other misconception is a lot of times you will see those dust covers on the bottom that have a uh, that have a 1914 on them or 1915 on them. People think that they're 8814s because of that. That's not what happened. Those, those dust covers were not part of the original 8805 conversion. They were done wartime. They were added on wartime to keep dirt out of the magazine. So that's the other kind of misconception about them. But other than that, most of them went to Turkey. The 8805 wasn't really well received. It was uh, There were a lot of reports of uh, bulged barrels. Uh, there were problems because the 88 Patron was was um really what what the rifle was built for once you put in the s patron um the more the the newer design it was hotter and there were reports of the bolts getting so hot you had to hit them with a tool to open them after you know several rounds and uh they just weren't really liked so the vast majority of of the 8805s were sent to turkey or bulgaria one of the two um they a, a true matching German 8805 is pretty rare. Um, I I've seen maybe like a handful of them over the years. I was fortunate. I found one on Gunbroker a couple years ago that no one knew what it was. So I'm like, oh okay, and I ended up getting it for you know pretty good price. But uh, people I think just didn't realize how rare it was. It flew below the radar. Um, the uh, the thing about the 8805, though, is that was something that was on hand when war broke out. But there were plenty of other 88s that weren't updated at all. So that brings us to both the S rifle and the 8814. Um, the S rifle was a conversion that was done wartime. You took an 88, you uh, replaced the rear sight, you basically ground down the existing rear sight, milled out that you know how 88s have that little small flip up sight mm -hmm. they disabled that they they milled that out so it was no longer usable and then they ground and restamped the numbers on the rear sight optimized for um for uh the the S patron ammo so that is really an S rifle and the only way you can tell if something's an S rifle is you look at the stock and there's a crown S cartouche added to the stock. It's like an S with a big crown on top. And then you can look at the rear sight too. The rear sight is milled down and the number graduations are different. Um, 
And you will also have that flip up site is disabled. But those are really the only things. And a lot of people misidentify some Turk uh, rifles for S rifles because af- in the 20s, they actually ground off the Eastern Arabic numbers in many cases and restamped Arabic, uh, Western Arabic, our numbers on the uh, rear sights. So that, that really uh, confuses some people, but really you've just got a, a Turk rifle that was restamped. It's not an S rifle. And the S rifle does not have stripper clip conversion. It's still used end block clips. Yeah. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. Um, finally, the 8814, very similar to the 8805, but the biggest and, and most readily, readily uh, seen difference is instead of the kind of stuck-on stripper clip guides, they were welded on and kind of machined so it looks a lot more crude as to how the stripper clip or the uh, stripper clip guides were were added. Um, those are really rare, though. They were done by a company uh, called uh, Venuswerk, um in um that that basically these rifles were sent to they reworked them they also reworked the uh the chinese 194 uh 1907s um if if you guys have ever covered those um they also reworked i think the belgian 89s that were converted to 8 millimeter mauser um so they were really a firm that specialized in those conversions um but what was the purpose of the 8814 if like the 8805 existed so basically, it was a way of modernizing the 88 a little bit. Enabling stripper clips was a big thing. Obviously, the stripper clip was superior to the to the M block clip. Um, also, it was a uh, it was a means of bringing up the sights to match that new ammunition because you can shoot a little bit further with the S Patron than the 88 Patron. It was just a nicer cartridge. Okay, but doesn't the the 8805 is also stripper clip fed, right? The, 88, the 8805 is also stripper clip. So basically the 8814 is kind of like just a later and more crude wartime conversion, whereas the 8805 was a pre-war conversion. Okay. That, that, that's the biggest difference. Okay. That, yeah. Yeah, that kind of makes sense then. Okay. But it's the, it's the S rifles. So S rifles are fairly uncommon. Um, I own, I own a few of them, but they, um, they oftentimes fly below the radar on auctions and gun broker. They're just not, people don't pay attention, but you can find a, you know, pretty neat, pretty special rifle, uh, just by looking if there's, if there's picks, if you can get a picture of the rear sight, if you can, if you see on the stock that there's a, a crown S on the stock, those are, those are the big indicators. Oftentimes the S rifles have that wartime, dust cover uh covering the uh, hole in the magazine yeah wow. yeah but they there's fly under the radar i mean yeah i feel like go ahead there's a, there's a friend of mine who had a uh, an 88 with the with the dust cover on the bottom and he wanted to take it off he's like no i don't want this like i want to be able to you know the clips to fall through and everything and i was like okay i mean i wouldn't if i was you but hey if you take it off i'll buy it from you yeah, yeah. There, and so the difference too. Another thing, the eighty-eight oh five dust cover is actually a little bit of a different animal. So the the uh, that one is just literally a stamped metal dust cover that covers the mag. The uh, eighty-eight um, the regular eighty-eight dust cover for that we're still using end blocks that has a little spring inside of it 
that uh, is kind of riveted on. And the purpose of that was that was supposed to um, help eject the uh, end block clip when it was empty. Hmm. Yeah. So original, it's just kind of a little the original, little, the original ping. Yeah. Ping rifle. Yeah. I feel exactly. like a lot of 88s actually go undervalued. I bought my 88 off a of gun broker. I think I paid 250 bucks for it. Like it's oh, yeah. not bad. It's it's not like a, a horrible one, but yeah, they're they do not. So even a matching and advertised as matching with good pictures, eighty eight, it, it, it they they sell for like half as much as Gewehr ninety eights. It's yeah, it's actually they. And when you get one that's nice, it's matching, good shape, whatever. It has that same nice pre-war feel to it that a pre-war Gewehr 98 has, but people just don't like them because they're misunderstood. I mean, they were, they were, uh, you know, people think they're a bad rifle. People think they didn't really serve at all, which they did. Um, you know, like I said, the, until they, uh, there was a severe rifle shortage in Germany as the war broke out and it took them a couple years to make enough Gewehr 98s to arm the full army. Um, and 88 served, extensively at least through yeah, 1918 yeah the 88s they held the line the, yeah they the did rifle shortage that yeah the, the i think the biggest like weird misconception of world war like german world war one shortages is everybody assumes it was like world war ii where like you have a bunch of stuff in the beginning and then everything gets more and more scarce as the war went on but it was the opposite world war one yeah. yeah it was like yeah it was oh, the right. opposite and the very yeah the beginning was the the oh shit we didn't ramp up production before we like started this and then there was the ramp up in the the early war years and then the so you have like the airsats bayonets the german airsats bayonets are an early war thing and not a very much thing like yep. like the opposite of world war ii yeah they, yeah they had thing. yeah and and by the end of the war the the gewehr 98 production you you had uh uh you know, like Danzig, Amberg, they were throwing off so many rifles by then. And, you know, Mauser was sending them to Turkey. DWM was, was um, you know, they were kind of uh, slowing down a little bit and focusing more on on machine guns. But it, late war Gewehr uh, 98s, the 18 dated ones, you almost never see them except the Turk Mauser ones because yep. they weren't really issued a lot of them a lot of the manufacturers stopped and the ones that didn't stop you know they, they were they were low-hanging fruit sitting in depots when the war ended and when the allies came in and said hey you have to reduce your weapons those 18s were among the first weapons destroyed so if you find a matching uh 1918 dated Gewehr 98 that's something special yeah it's so it's so interesting being the complete opposite with with World War yeah. One. Yeah, just something. I think World War, World War Two really does just kind of overshadow World War One to, uh, to it, it to does most, most people, especially here in the U.S. I think more so than other countries. Yeah, I, I always uh, get a little chuckle when people use, especially in the U.S., the term "Great War" because the uh, um, you know it's a very European term. You know, is is I hear it used much more in Canada and and Europe. And, you know, I, I always ask when an American says that, I'm like, so what's World War II? Is that the greater war or? <laughs> it was great for us. We made a lot of money. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, but, but really. And then, I mean, and then we went over there and we stole all their shit. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, it, you know, you look. Liberated. World War One. we were kind of the, 
you know, yes, we got involved a little bit later in World War II as well. But World War One, we were kind of the Johnny Come Latelys. We were we were neutral for so long, and it it really wasn't the national identity kind of event that you had with Australia, Canada, um, you know, all these other. Like I talked to some of my Canadian friends, and World War One was just like that that seminal moment when they really. So, you know, they they were no longer British; they were Canadian. Um, so it yeah. really it, it 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 impacted them. Therefore, there's a there seems to be a lot more interest in World War One. Um, you know, among among countries that had that that uh, uh, national identity experience. In the yeah. U.S., World War that was really World War Two for us because we we come out of World War Two and. You know, it was really, you know, the U.S. and the Soviet Union were the two least battered countries coming coming out of the war. Yeah, the uh, World War One, it's it's we have the World War One Memorial here in uh, Kansas City and it was built before World War Two. And so the the big words on it is, you know, the World War mm -hmm. um, on the on the World War One Memorial. And that's it's uh there's a joke about uh, was it like a time traveler or something? It goes back to the to somebody in like the twenties, and they're like, "Yeah, I was in the World War." And the guy's like, "Oh, which one?" The guy's like, "Which one?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good museum. If you uh, if you're in that area, I would recommend going to it. It is really cool. They have some really cool shit that I've never seen and never thought I would get to see. So, yeah, Am I still it's, talking it's, or no? Nah. We are, yeah. we are now. Um, I guess we could we could move forward now that Aaron's back. We can move forward to the uh, to the to the eighteen eighteen ninety eight Mauser. Wait, uh, you haven't gotten is, off that yet? No. Well, we talked a lot well, about eighty eight yeah. for all the variants. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, and I don't know two variants. <laughs> I ragged yeah, on some yeah, M ninety five. You got the OG one. You have the the eighty eight oh five, the eighty eight S, the S conversion. Not not the real, not not the misnomer. A lot of people think that just because an S was stamped on the receiver, it's an S rifle. That's not true. It has to have the the rear sight modifications and the uh, Is that the, the S stamp on the stock. Uh, no, no, the fourteen came even later. You missed it. You missed it yeah, yeah, missed that. yeah we'll, we didn't talk about the carbines. Yeah, yeah or the ninety one. I was gonna stay out of carbines and just stick with infantry rifles for, okay. for brevity here. Well, we okay. can't talk let's about the K ninety eight. Why are we talking? All right, let's. Why are we talking here? I'll, we're good. We're good. So, in eighteen ninety one, the there's a there's a rifle. The, All right. Well, so before before you talk about the eighteen eighty nine, you got to talk about which we kind of already did. You know, Paul Mauser. You know. Clapping back after the the commission rifle and coming out with his first the eighteen eighty eight and then he refines that into the 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 wonderful eighteen eighty nine. He sells to to Belgium. No, you you missed the uh, joke, he's... which is the car eighty eight and the Gewehr eight ninety one are the same gun. They're both eighty eights. Yeah, they're they're uh, <laughs> they, and they actually they actually made the Gewehr ninety one out of a uh, out of you know, excess 88, 88 carbine receivers and just scrubbed them and re-stamped them. You can actually see on some Gewehr 91s like a ghost car 88. Yeah. Um, well, I just I was giving Danny shit because well, we're not talking about carbines. All right, let's talk about the Gewehr 91. 
you know. <laughs> All right. We're talking about infantry, infantry rifles, not <laughs> yeah. not the not the ninety one. I'll go yeah. get my eighty eight. Yeah, yeah, and, and let's not where's let's that, not forget where's that bolt at Danny. It's right. I have yeah. The, the bolt's over right, right there. <laughs> next to it. I was gonna say yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you have a bolt for that thing. I do. Um, I do. I have well, I have Mike, Danny. Oops. I have two bolts that uh, together they make one bolt uh, for this thing. But this is a, it's an S marked. Uh, yep. It's a VC shilling Sewell 1891. Nice. Gavir uh, 91. Got yep. that nice monolith stock the, on it. Gavir 91 was, was the uh, carbine issued to foot artillery. And that was, yeah. that was a specific, uh, specific carbine just for them. And they were used in some other cases. They they used them for bicycle troops too. Ah, uh, okay. So troops. when I say when I say we're we're talking about rifles here, I'm not talking of I'm talking about just the American definition of rifle, not Gewehr versus carabiner. We so use short rifles. Go. We're not going to do that right now. <laughs> we're not going to do that to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, Jared, quit quit uh, baiting <laughs> me into talking about uh, sidebars here. I mean, I mean if, if, uh, if if everyone really wants to, I'll come back and do a carbine episode later. Yeah, yeah, was, that, we would have to definitely do a, do a carbine because well, those there's and, way more variations. And I was oh, yeah, there are right. yeah, especially cavalry carbines, artillery. Yeah. Well, then you get into the Gewehr ninety eight, and the, and it's the weird carbines that are after the war that people don't understand, like the designations of correct, like the R ninety eight B. Well, no, the yeah, the G ninety eight M that everybody likes. Oh yeah, to say. yeah, or, or, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the collector term, but everyone calls them Gewehr ninety eight M's. But yeah, it's uh, it it really was just the uh, uh just an SS patrol, yeah, trans uh conversion. So, so uh, all right, so so to 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 get to the to get to the Gewehr ninety eight, we first need to talk briefly about the Mauser getting to that point, which was Paul Mauser coming up with his rifle in 1889, which the big rev, it was a single stack magazine at the time with a clip. It was clip loaded, the original clip. Now there's three different sort of iterations of the Mauser clip. And this was the first one. It's sort of the slick, the slick sided. Uh, uh, let's clarify, not in block stripper clip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I say clip, I mean uh, yeah. yeah, clip. Well, because we because there are in blocks at this time period too, so you gotta you gotta think about that. Yeah. Also, when you Google it, you have to be careful in your wording of Swedish uh, stripper, Swedish strippers, stripper. Yeah, clips. you do. Uh, so, uh, so you have the original, the OG sort of stripper clip. You have the the the, the Gewehr eighteen eighty nine. Everybody kind of knows about the the, uh, the the Argentine 1891, sort of a continuation of that. And then at uh, 1892 uh, to 1893, you kind of have this um, sort of great improvement to double stack uh, magazine. So you have the five round flush fitting uh, double stack magazine. You have uh, bolt improvements, bolt simplifications, uh, you know, toolless safety uh, field improvements after he lost his eye. Well, yeah, but he lost his eye with a semi-auto. Yeah, he was testing a self-loading rifle. Um, So he, uh, there's many, many improvements 
going on. It's it's hard to describe here, uh, just just sort of over voice going to it. You have the um, so from the eighteen eighty. From the 1893 to the 1898, you have a few kind of improvements. The Swede contract, I think, really kind of brought a lot of those um, big improvements out of the rifle. Um, and then going to the actual 18, um, 1898 from like the Swede, I would say it's more like that third safety lug and then kind of going to cock on open instead of cock on close is sort of the... Uh, the, the Danny and I argue play. about the the pinnacle pre-1898 and he thinks it's the swedish and i i think it's the chilean mm. i think it's just it's that the bolt rib and the guide underneath the uh the the, the receiver bridge and the uh and the swede that carried over to the 1898 um i think is just the the big the big reason why the uh the the, the swede is better it just it just prevents so much it prevents a lot of binding, especially when the bolt is near fully retracted out of the gun. Like I, I did a video, you know, shooting the uh, the Chilean 1895 and the, and the Swede um, M96. And um, those dates are kind of weird because the Chilean is really just a Spanish copy. And, uh, and the 96 is really just a 94 copy. But um, it's I think it's I think it's probably the pinnacle pre pre-1898 uh, design and um it was so good so now what we think of as the 1898 the, the gewehr 98 um it was patented in 1895 actually um, a lot of those improvements were patented by uh by mauser in 1895 uh <laughs> uh, uh friggin luger uh georg luger patented the third the safety lug on the uh, on the Mauser rifle, weirdly enough, he like on the sly patented that. That's a whole thing that we talked with uh, uh, Mauro about. about. Yeah, was pretty, I I yeah. wasn't aware about how much high school backstabbing bullshit drama there was in yeah. this time period. Yeah, and it's and the and Mauser, pet, yeah Mauser stealing the petty. design for the C ninety six and making up the whole thing about the guys inventing it in the garage. Is just propaganda. It was like, no, no, no. The, we totally didn't steal this design. And yeah, I was just yeah. like, what? What? Yeah, that. The, yeah, there's some good drama back back then with these. Oh with the yeah, and, and the 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 Lugavig Lo, the Lova thing that we talked about, where they just stole the company out from underneath them, and then um, yeah, hired him on and made him live on the property. Like he was basically <laughs> like a domestic servant, essentially. Indentured servant, <laughs> yeah. yeah. An indentured servant living on his own factory grounds. And uh yeah, the the whole fighting between and Luger being just a total asshole about everything. Yeah. Uh and and yeah. and boat boat was it uh the C ninety three, that's the Borchard. Borchard. Yeah, he and Borchard, him being yeah. just a total dick oh. and being like, No, it's perfect. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to update it. <laughs> yeah, Borchardt reminds me. This is a little off topic, but Borchardt and his attitude reminds me of exactly uh, Schmidt's attitude with the Schmidt Rubin rifle. Uh, they both were like, "Nope, our design is perfect. It's not going to be improved. This is it." They both oh, had that, and yeah, somebody else Ford. came along, and yeah, yeah, and then somebody else comes along and like you know makes a makes a better mousetrap. Yeah, so it's just really you, weird. It's just well, you know weird, too. I, I like it because that's my kind of hatred and it's, I will teach my kids to hate your kids and I expect you to do the same. Like, <laughs> like, oh man. I, yeah, like I, that, I can get behind that. That story about uh, 
Henry Ford, where where I guess uh, uh, his son and and some of the employees of the company made him like a special, like slightly updated Model T, and and he was so pissed that they had messed with the Model T design that they that Henry Ford pretty much like smashed up the car with his bare hands and just like was was so pissed at them for even trying to improve his design. Pretty uh, pretty. Uh, People just get so egotistical about their about their creation, yeah. and I don't think that's Mauser theirs really and not anyone else's. Mauser didn't really seem to have that kind of attitude about like, no, mm-hmm. everything can be improved. Yeah, 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 he he definitely did. Um, yeah, there's yeah, there's just lots of improvements. Yeah, um, from, especially from that, that rear sight. Now. Yeah, well, okay. So now the the roller coaster site <laughs> was that's a, that's that, that was commission like, coming back in. Like, it's like, hey, hey, no, that was a guy. A guy, Chris, you got to back me up on this. That was a guy just convinced the Kaiser to to basically make them do that. That wasn't even like you can't find that on on German commercial rifles like before eighteen ninety eight, like the Peruvian eighteen oh nine. They just did it because it's yeah all the all the Germans okay. did it. Here's the, the, the thing that I. Here's what I think is weird is people can just like write to the Kaiser because the same thing happened with the first carbines. They went to um, the police for the Ruhr about with the coal riots. And it's like, man, we oh, really oh, can yeah, use the, the, the like, car 88. Yeah. They, yeah. They, uh, that, that one, that one, uh, I forget his name, but he was uh, one of the uh, local police guys. And yeah, he wrote to the Kaiser. He's like, Hey, we need help. You don't want these people rioting. So yeah. they diverted some military um, uh, stocks of the of the carbines to the the rural police, and you know, they wanted to put it down. I just love the concept of this because it happens more than once. It's like, yeah, hey Willie, this is pretty fucking cool. Like you you want it on this, and he's like, yeah, the, let's the, do that. The Longa Vizier, the Longa Vizier, Longa Vizier, named after yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Longa. Yeah. So it's just, it'd be like right into the president. So being a bad, like, hey, a bad site through some 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 BS got it added there. Not at all because it was from well, Mauser or anything Chris, like that. Uh, no. What was the original caliber he submitted the the eighteen ninety eight in? It wasn't an eight millimeter. No, I believe it was the. Uh, I believe there was a six millimeter uh, uh, trials version that was tested. Um, at least there was one in Mauser's collection. Yeah, because I'm it, I'm it, pretty sure because I remember reading about this because we when I looked at the 1895 Lee Navy this time period, Mauser's like, oh, the 6.5 Swedish works really well, and I think he's starting to get on the idea of smaller bullets faster, and he's starting to get that idea in his head, and then that's what he submitted, and then obviously we get the same issue that the a, model, a lot of these other countries ran into, which is just, oh, we're not going to change the rest of the supply chain for this one gun. So we're just Some not going to do that. bias. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yep. the same so, as .30-06 and two seventy six Patterson. I mean, it's tons. It's tons that you can name thousands of cartridges. Like the freaking three hundred three British is another one. It's just like, oh, no, we already made all this. That's yeah, a perfect yeah. round. All right. Yeah. There's nothing so, wrong with that round. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So, leading into the Guevara 98, I'll be back, guys. I think I walked through the maybe, improvements. Maybe, maybe by the time I you get back, I get back, you'll be on the end of the Guevara 98. 
Bye. It's been a couple hours. We're into the third period. It's 3-1 if you're keeping score at home. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, no, they're losing. Uh, they pulled their goalie. Uh, uh, but we got a new guy. He's good. <laughs> so, yeah, the... the uh... And if you look, the development of the uh, Gewehr 98, they went through a lot of kind of wonky uh, trials models. I know we were talking about different calibers, but uh, there, there were iterations of it that had a barrel jacket. There were, you know, they tried a bunch of different things. If you if you look in uh, uh, Storrs' uh, uh, 98 book, you can see some of those weird trials versions. But uh, ultimately, they settled on the Gewehr 98 that we know and love. Um the uh, but really the ninety eight the Gewehr ninety eight that came out originally was not it, it looked a little different um, and there were a number of improvements that were made over the course of its life um, you know to correct little little issues sometimes big issues uh, some uh, w- one major modification was uh, in the event of the uh, um, adoption of the new ammunition, the S Patron that we had talked about with the 88s. There was a um, um, number of updates, uh, essentially with the rear sight. That was the big. That was the big thing that was changed. So if you looked at a Gewehr 98 that was made, say in 1899 or 1900, um, it would have a different looking Lange Vizier sight, longer Vizier sight. Um, and it had a, um, it, it was up to 200 meters was the, uh, minimum sight setting. The leaf looked a little different. It was shaped a little different. The slider was a little bit different. Um, but really that was, that was the original design because the Gewehr 98 was designed for 88 Patron. Um, the, uh, later on when the new ammunition was, was introduced, uh, the S Patron, the uh, there was a program of reworking these Gewehr 98s and converting them to fire S Patron. Uh, the uh, the rear sight changed, and what you'll see is that the rear sight sleeve often wasn't changed. Um, in fact, very frequently you'll see a um, you'll see a uh, um, uh, a sleeve that's marked for 200, but it'll have a 400 meter leaf yeah. and slider yeah, in the it. Yeah, I could only go to four yeah. stops. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because because um, not not knowing that and just seeing a Gewehr 98 and 400 you know meters as the minimum rear sight, you just go like, what? Like that's stupid. Why would they decide to have a minimum sight distance of 400? They thought that's yeah. what it was going to be. I, I can shoot the that original. Far. But the original 200, that's that's not that far off, really. I mean, you see that up until the 30s, countries adopting a, you know, minimum rear sight distance of the of, of 200. Like the Brazilian 1935, it's a minimum rear sight distance is 200 meters. So yeah, yeah, it really at the time, it just it just made sense. Um, you know, obviously, as the as World War One went on, a 400 meter minimum setting just made about zero sense. <laughs> well, everyone's looking at it with the value of hindsight. Yeah. Oh, oh, 100% at the time. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, they only fought it this far. Yeah, but like three years ago, they figured out that they could shoot 2,000 meters with it. Why would we fight it 100? We're going to fight it like 500. Yeah. Is the thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you were looking at it at the time. They were looking at it without that benefit of hindsight as to what military doctrine was at the time. 
And they were expecting, hey, we're going to see these guys across the other side of the field. We want to get the drop on them. That whole idea of volley fire um, just made sense. They were Um, fighting in lines still. Yeah, they were still fighting in lines. The way you look at the French, they were still wearing the red pants and the bright uniforms. And, you know, the the Germans pre-war were wearing the the bright uh, uh, Dunkelblau, the, the blue uniforms. So, yeah, it just it it. Doctrine changed when war broke out, but uh, back to the back to the rear sights. You'll see after the new ones made after started to move toward a four hundred meter um, sleeve out of the gate with the with the slider, but there were modified ones. So if you ever find a um, Gewehr ninety eight that's in uh, uh, S Patron or excuse me uh, eighty eight Patron that hasn't been modified, that's that's something that's pretty. Uh, Pretty special. Yeah, pretty scarce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was around 1905, wasn't it, when they switched? Uh, 1903 is when the new uh, round was was kind of rolled out, but it was a, a gradual changeover. Um, you also had a change in the bolt. The bolt had really narrow gas escape holes originally. Those were widened, I think, uh, partially because of the uh, new ammunition. Um, there were also, you know, little minor things that were done. Um you know, certainly the um, um, one thing that came out later was the uh, the sears uh, on the trigger uh, had a propensity to collect mud and really corrode in bad conditions. So they they uh, went in and they did some machining to to kind of make it a better design. Um, but uh, ultimately, as with any rifle, it had already been in service for fourteen years by the time world war one broke out. So there was some time to improve things. Um, That's the cool thing too, is that they didn't just sit on it. They did fix the things. And I do enjoy that because you, you see like uh, a a 1900 versus a 1915. They're different. There's different nuances about them because they made them better. They didn't just stop and continue to make junk. They fixed the problems. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's very for for most for like most military rifles for basic mechanical improvements. I feel like there's only a couple countries you see that from. I think really like Great Britain and 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 England. Ger- yeah, in Germany, really like with these mm-hmm. with these kind of major major mechanical improvements to the rifles that are willing to do it because like the Russians with the Mosin, the Italians with the Carcanos. It's just, hey, that's it. The bolt stays the bolt, you know, except yeah. for maybe like a, you know, some like really odd, odd change or like a caliber conversion, maybe with the Carcanos. Like it's just the action is the action, you know, the French, and it just kind of stays. The French and the Berthier is like, it's three shot. We'd really like five. Ugh. I mean, it's just two rounds. Come on. My my favorite Man, part I- of that is so my my. A little digression here. So my favorite part about the like the whole three shot Berthier deal is that the French didn't want a Labelle carbine because it would be three shots and three isn't enough. So let's make a Labelle or a, let's make a Berthier carbine. And then they made it three shots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, tube fed, you know, it's faster to load and stuff like that. But just like just going based on the uh, the magazine you know, size like that, that argument just kind of seems a little silly. I know they made it bigger in 1916, but up, up to five, but, um, but it's still funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the so the Gewehr ninety eight sort of staying as the the main rifle um, through World War One, and now it's kind of it's kind of the the whole you know K ninety eight A is you know I know it's got the 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 carabiner in quotations name to it. So not a carbine, but it's a short rifle, but it's carbine and name. Uh, That's kind of a weird, um, almost, it's like a quasi substitute standard rifle, maybe for the Germans, um, because it's, it's a standard short rifle sized rifle. It's not like a real carbine, you know, with a, with a, like a short, like 18 inch barrel or something, you know, it's got like a, like a 22, 23 inch barrel. It's a, it's a short rifle. And it was massively used um, by the by the Germans in World War One, and I think that it's it's kind of this quasi not an official infantry rifle, but was used so much in an infantry capacity when maybe it wasn't initially designed to be that. Um, that to me is just kind of like a more interesting part of that, and I think it's it's probably worth bringing up because. Um, I'm not sure exactly how much the 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 K98A is kind of led into uh the 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 future of of Mauser rifles that you know the 1898 after World War 1 but um it's just kind of an interesting uh, point to bring up and uh, I think a, the like the, the big question that I hear from a lot of people this kind of moves us past World War 1 here but kind of the big question that I hear from a lot of people is why why did the Germans go with the K98K eventually instead of just sticking with the K98A, which they were already making, they already had logistics for, you know, factories making it, and um, which is, you know, not a, not a super, you know, talked about aspect of it, um, which the- really, really the K98A is kind of a more specialty uh, rifle, you know, the, you know, different receiver size, you know, thing sizes and all that. But that's what I was going to say is the A is a different gun. The K98K is like a shorter Gewehr. Yeah, it's a short, it's a, it's a large ring. And, you know, we, we also kind of tend to overlook the 98A, as I call it, it was not the original car 98. There was the actual car 98, which was made, um, you know, 1903-1904, and uh, that was a short kind of car 88-looking thing that yeah, uh, really didn't carbine. Yeah, it mm-hmm. didn't do well at all. It was it was chambered in 88 Patron, so it was already obsolete when it was made. It uh, it had a uh, tremendous kick. It had a big ass fireball that came out of the front of it when you fired it, and the troops just did not like it. So they they were only made for a short time and most of them were relegated to the colonies. Um, and some were even sold to Mexico, um, uh, later on and, you know, end up the, typically the ones in the U S came in through Mexico. Um, but just sort of a failed design. And they came up later with what we know as the car 98, a, it was a, it was a longer design, which kind of mitigated the recoil and the big ass fireball. Um, and, uh, you know, was was designed as sort of a universal carbine for both cavalry and artillery. 
Um, you know, it had the stacking hook. It had uh, the side mounted sling that was that was good for you know a guy on horseback. Um, you had a uh, um, you know much more friendly experience, like we were talking about earlier. We we um, when we were when we were chatting about the uh, which rifle would I want to have in World War One. Um, you know, a couple of us said the car 98 because really it was a much more pleasant shooter. Um, yeah, had the bent bolt. It, it really felt more like a battle rifle. Yeah. Yeah. Much lighter, much more handy. Um, yeah, the, 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 the car 98, I guess we'd have to get on the same page as, as far as nomenclature. Cause I know there's two car 98 A's, but the, the short rifle car 98, which if you say K98 or CAR98 in hindsight with stuff like the Polish K98 and then the K98K, which is referred to as K98 and all that stuff, um, I'm just going to refer to it because we, we all know that uh, AZ is not, not the correct term. But if you say AZ, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. I know. It, it's one uh, of those things where I've, I've, I've given up trying to fight it. it. It normally drives me batty, but so many people still say it. It's, it's a collector term. AZ yeah. was really just the German for stacking hook, um, stacking hook in the, uh, um, you know, the, the other features of it. It was, it was long, it was stacking hook, um, uh, in the bayonet lug. Um, but again, it, it's, if everyone knows it as that, and that, that helps differentiate it, do it. And I'll just kind of, kind of cringe yeah. a little bit every time someone says <laughs> it. But yeah, so that's the only thing. Everybody knows what the AZ is. But but the yeah, so so going so going through World War One uh to the post World War One period, um really that whole that whole time frame is really fascinating with like the Freikorps, the fighting that's going on in, in eastern eastern Europe at the time. Um it's just like very not well known, not not generally well known part of part of history for for many people, you know, European history and especially German uh, German history. Um, but it's just like the guys just kept fighting, like they just left France and they just w went east and and uh, you know kept fighting after after the war. Yeah. And um, as far as the 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 German rifles, I would say, right, you with the with the SS, um, you know, the adoption of the SS cartridge. Um, and then the the Gewehr 98. We talked about the the not technically correct Gewehr 98M term. So 98M, uh, which is just like a collector term for the updated uh, rear sight for the new um, SS SS Patron cartridge. Um, now, Chris, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. The the SS Patron cartridge is really that's like one capital S, one lowercase s, not having yeah, yeah, lowercase capital. Yep, yep. An um, ammo designation not having to do with any political organization. Yeah, it has nothing to do Just, with yeah. bad SS. No. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> um, yeah. The SS Patron. Now that was it was a, a lighter loaded uh, round, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, it was a. Um, it, it was better optimized um you know we had learned a lot from world war one from just generally getting better with smokeless powder um you know it was kind of what what they call like a boat tail round was uh the ss patron and it was just designed to be a better performing cartridge um and and it was designed for being shot out of a shorter barrel 
Um, we don't need those big 30 inch barrels anymore. We don't need, uh, we don't need kind of all that volley fire doctrine that spawned the, uh, Gewehr 98. Um, so it, it really was an improvement in many ways. And naturally the Germans, when they had the improved cartridge, they wanted to, um, roll it out to all their weapons. So the Gewehr 98, there were still many of them on hand. So converting them made a lot of sense. Um, were all the Gewehr 98s in German possession converted? No. In fact, um, one thing that I'll speak to is, you know, we all know the 1920 uh, stamp that you'll see on the on the face of interwar rifles. Um, a lot of people will call it a double date or a 1920 rework or something like that. Uh, do, do you guys know the actual meaning of the 1920? The 1920 didn't have to do with the year as much as it did just the acceptance into German inventory, like the the official inventory. It, it was a property mark, nothing property more, nothing less. Yeah. So that, because they did a buyback program where you yes. could you could buy they would you could take your shit and be like, yeah, I got like five helmets, three rifles, or whatever. But if you had a 1920 mark, they knew you stole it. Correct. Yeah, they did a. Um, they did a uh, mandatory buyback, and yeah. it was phased. It's like, hey, you'll get more money if you turn it in by this date. You'll get a little less money if you turn it in by the next date. Then it just became a, we're not giving you any money. You just, we won't charge you if you turn it in. And then after that, if you were caught with it, you were prosecuted. But the um, Fry Corps still had MGO8s on top of pickup trucks, and that's because oh, oh yeah, freedom. yeah, they they were government sanctioned, <laughs> it, much like the the EWB and some of those other militias. They, yeah. uh, in fact, a lot of the um, the Gewehr 98s that maintain that Langa Vizier um, site was uh, was were ones that were with a militia like the EWB, and they were stashed during that mandatory buyback or after. And uh, later recovered. Like I've got a, um, I've got a one with still a, a the the old style sight on on a uh, Gewehr ninety eight was never really re- reworked, um, and it was stashed most likely and brought home by a World War II veteran. So, um, but yeah, the the uh, nineteen twenty, you know, wherever you can, just make sure people know it's a property mark, not a double date. Because otherwise, if 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 that was a year that things were getting reworked, the the depots were very very busy in 1920. I'm back. I'm not yeah. gonna turn my camera on because I'm eating. But oh, uh, the other thing I we were talking about the SS Patron. Or how do you pronounce that? That's not. Does it sound like the liquor? Patron? Uh, SS Patron. Patron. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's the correct German pronunciation. The, if you want to do, it. Just I think do it the that other way, reason, Aaron. right, was because the the regular S Patron had a lot of muzzle flash out of the shorter barrel rifles. Is yes. that correct? So and yeah. So so here's another example where we were talking about how the Russians just left shit the way it was. Uh, that's why the M44 is the fireball thrower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because the Russians never changed it. <laughs> M38s do it too. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's the fireball. Is that because they didn't give a shit to make separate or update their ammo? Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of those carbines that like existed on a large scale, like except for the Russians, is like 
you know, they were little like six, five, you know, cartridge, 6.5 millimeter cartridges seem to be like the more successful little, little tiny carbines, like actual, like 18 inch barrel carbines is like, when I say carbine is what I mean, not like the German carabiner, 22, 23 inch, uh, barrel size. Right. So you're talking like um, the Italians or the, uh, Swedish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The Italian and the Swedes, um, that kind of long lasting um actual carbine it's kind of and that sort of flavor of, of of cartridge now um you don't see that really again like the you know the the that original k90 you know actual car, um carbine 98 the the k98a the original one that's like the last real uh mauser carbine that i can that i can think of you know with a with a real short barrel you know an eight millimeter mauser that the germans adopted very short-lived, um, very rare. Um, but now, yeah, but now going back to the interwar period, you have the, the Gewehr 98Ms, which is just that transitional updated to the, to the SS Patron cartridge. Uh, and then uh, right after that, um, I think is what, the, uh, the, the Carabiner B? Yeah, the, the uh, Carabiner uh, 98B, which... It it, it it's really anything but a carbine. It's it's full length like the Gewehr ninety eight. Um, it was yeah. updated. Obviously, it it uh, it came in the uh, the uh, SS Patrona um, as a as a matter of you know straight from the factory. But it really it was different in a number of ways. It had a bent bolt. It had a slide side mounted sling. It really, in many um, respects, resembles the the Radfar, which was the, uh, um, yeah, the bicycle ice. rifle yeah. in uh, World War One. Um, that you know, many many similarities. Really, the only difference is that the rear band has a spring on the on the ninety eight B, whereas the the Rad had a uh, had a screw underneath it that uh, threaded into the bottom of the cleaning rod nut. Um, but the uh, the they they called it a carbine, and I, I've seen this several places. One place was because, or, or one reason was calling it a carbine sounded less aggressive than a uh, than a rifle. I don't I don't know that I necessarily buy that. But the other thing with it was that, and this really pissed off the cavalry. The cavalry had to adopt the the car ninety eight B instead of the. 98a which they really liked because that was a lot more handy if you were on horseback so cavalry was naturally pissed off um the people in vehicles or close quarters probably weren't as happy um but the the 98b really survived um and and served for quite a while it's just it had a low survival rate as it pertains to what was brought back to the u.s um it's pre-war yeah yeah and having yeah. to survive the war is yeah, it's very. The earlier it is, the less unlikely it is to survive. Yes, and and also they sold or or gave a lot of the uh, 98B to other countries as aid. Um, you know, uh, places uh, obviously uh, a lot of them came in from Albania, um, ended up there at the end of the war uh, for whatever reason. Um, they were imported over. They tend to be mixed masters, but that's usually the first. 98b that someone finds um but there are matching bringbacks back there um that, that have come back here i mean so um but the the 98b really was 
Um, again, kind of just a progression to where you started seeing this movement toward the turndown bolt with the cutout, um, the uh, the updated tangent site for the SS Patrona, and uh, then also you had uh, uh, that side-mounted sling, which really became standard uh, later on on all the other rifles. Uh, you had a stock disc, um, a takedown ferrule, as, as some call it, and then you end up with a kind of a precursor. It's basically a long K98K. And then your earlier your earlier comparison to the Gewehr 98 basically um, just being shortened um, is is pretty true. Um, because so, so what what time period are we talking about with the K98B? 1920s and 1920s. the the a significant amount. Not all the 98B pattern rifles were made. Um, were were uh, made by the same company, but the true Car ninety eight Bs were made by Simpson. Uh, they were uh, again. This kind of gets back to the anti Semitic thing, but they were the company that was given legal approval to still manufacture firearms. Uh, yeah, they were the only ones that could make them after the Versailles Treaty. Yeah. Correct. So you had some clandestine rifles that were made um, in that pattern too. Uh, the 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 other one really being the S twenty eight rifles those those were made uh, uh, in secret we're we're still trying to figure out exactly one hundred percent what the story was with them there have been links to a couple different companies uh, uh, DWM Mauser um, but but uh, you know there's we don't see enough of them to necessarily come to any conclusions so I won't make any bold bold theories here. But uh, the S28s basically look like a 98B, smell like a 98B, but they have a blank receiver. Um, and the uh, sometimes even will have a fake 1920 stamp on them to make them look like they're older. And they even have imperial acceptance and ciphers on the stock. So um, uh, kind, of, kind of very, very tricky. I, I, uh, this is what I like about so everyone assumes that in 1933 they started ramping up production of all of these things. It's not true. No, it's going Weimar, the, on. Yeah. yeah. The Weimar Hitler, Republic Hitler accelerated it. Yeah. But really, it, it, it was going on for a long time before yeah. that. Yeah. The Weimar Republic did these things. It's just, yeah. if you, and if you look, you can see it. But everyone just assumes, oh, this is, this, this is exactly when it started. No, they were like doing tank trials in Russia. Yeah. Like it, they, like they, they were trying to, con to continually stay up on everything. Because they were so restricted, but they knew that they had to stay current. So they, they did things like this. They sold rifles to the post office. Like they like there are K98Ks that are for the the, uh, the felt post, post office. Yeah, for the post yeah, office. Yeah. Or for the, oh, yeah. the train uh, the standard for the train. totally yeah, yeah. these yeah. are for the postmen to carry. Yeah. Yeah. These are like definitely the, for the, the standard train model, workers. right? Yeah, yeah, standard yeah. the the, uh, the the banner K they call them. It's basically yeah. like a prototype K98K. The only difference is is that the the front band there was a rear band spring, and then there was like a peg that goes through the front band that that uh, keeps the front band in place. But yeah, they they were uh, 1933 34, and then uh, at that time you had the first uh, K98K being made. Uh, actually, I think the the true K98K was started first at, at uh, J.P. Sauer, and Mauser followed up shortly thereafter. They were the two startup contractors for making the true K-98K. 
um, and then other makers were added as they as they ramped it up. But uh, you know, really, it was it was the the culmination of all the improvements they had made uh, in earlier years, and they really didn't any any changes to the K ninety eight K after nineteen thirty four or so were really just uh, um, improvements to maybe make it a little easier to manufacture, a little less machining to ramp up for the war effort. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I it is a very interesting period of like g- going from Gewehr 98 to K98K and all these little weird variations in between that are, you know, less less known, less seen. But uh, and- yeah, the they're still out there so if you look at if you watch like a a propaganda video they're only going to show the newest hotness thing to the people back home but if you look at pictures you can see got like especially like ssvt guys in france with car 98az you can see guys going into russia with long german rifles oh yeah like like in 41 like yeah oh yeah I so they of photos of yeah Germans yeah. with yeah long long rifles that are obviously you know G98Ms. Yeah, um, they they didn't just give up. And... and you'll see like pack crews like like three guys got uh, uh, Canon 8Ks and like two guys got a uh, A's. And it's I I like that like it, you know they didn't just throw the guns away they still used them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were all used. Yeah, there's yeah. a few famous photos of uh, of K98As in in Russia. Yeah. Um, they got, you know, they made it, they made it all the way into, into Russia. So all these, all these guns were, were being used and yeah. they are all, you know, just like with any sort of war of attrition, these earlier guns are the first ones to get chewed up and, and spit out. And so are, are the, the way less common ones, you know, than, yeah. the, than the later ones, but, but, yeah, you know, kind of zooming to the, zooming to the K98K kind of after that adoption like like chris said it's really no real major changes as far as functionality to design but everything just having to do from that point with making it faster um you know so it's pretty much there's a well there's a couple little little tweaks the laminate stocks i was just about to say the stock i would i would consider the laminate stock a, a a major upgrade that's a lot stronger it, stock than a than a yeah. Stock. It, it was it was essentially done though because their their limitation of uh, walnut they they uh, you know it was it was a uh, they didn't have the materials um, you know obviously when they when they started ticking off the U.S. they weren't getting any more American walnut a lot of the uh, European walnut forests had already been uh, consumed. No, so, I understand uh, it's like a it's it's faster it's it's cheap to manufacture, but like, it's also, like, it is strong like, though. They, they too, had the yeah. benefit of it being a stronger stock. So like it checked yeah. off all these boxes of like, this is way better. Yeah. yeah that, it was and, not laminate. Laminate was not a downgrade like Beechwood was in world war one. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a good way to put that's it. That's a really yeah. good way to put it. Yeah. And, and now you do you do have the slight tweak of going to the cupped butt plate because of those layers, because of those wood layers at the end. That cup butt plate does go over and kind of squeeze and hold on to that that you know the the, the wood laminate layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, to prevent separation. 
and so as far as that, yeah, again, that sort of maybe more goes into the manufacturing than a, than an actual something purposefully done for for function, you know, for functionality. Um, I know you do see flat flat butt plates on early laminates, but they did switch yeah. to, to cup butt plates. It, it was um, it was a functional um, a functional change. Basically, the the um, flat butt plate was a lot easier to damage the stock, especially once you got to the laminated wood. You could cause delaminations if there was too much moisture, you know, what have you. So that's why in um, in uh, uh, forty one they started moving toward the cupped butt plate. It's just a better design. If you're in adverse uh, terrain too, it actually yeah. does do good in planting the rifle down yeah. to get like if you're going up a hill i'd rather have a cup butt plate to go up the hill and spike the rifle in the ground like oh they didn't do that yes they did like <laughs> yes they did and and it's it actually does make it a little bit better yeah yeah that's one of the reasonings for the for the side plate on the the 3340 yep. is you know doing doing something like that but yep. the um k90k's <clears throat> yeah very few functional improvements maybe the front sight hood going to that instead of the removable front yeah. sight hood. Um, yep. But then, yeah, very similar rifle, nothing, nothing, anything like with the, with the Gewehr 98 until the very end, the Kriegs, uh, the, the Kriegs model, which again is just manufacturing, speeding up manufacturing. And there's lots of weird variations there at the, at the, at the end of the, the, the K98Ks, um, like that completely, uh, simplified rear sight that kind of more reminds you of something that would be like on a, on like a, a Carcano or something, just like a welded yeah. sheet metal rear sight with a slit in it, or like on a, on a last ditch Arasaka kind of style style rear sight. Um, no more, yeah. no more nice hole in the stock. They just drill the hole very, in the butt plate or the cup. Yeah. yeah, very, yeah, very crude at the end, but overall very, very, very similar. And you know the the K ninety eight Ks even in nineteen forty five, you could take a Gewehr ninety eight bolt you know, of a gun made in 1900 and stick it in a K98K in 1945, and it's probably going to work. You know, you get you have such that continued lineage of, of rifle, from, you know, for those, you know, 45 years or so. It's it's I I have a check 9822 bolt in a K98K. Yeah, works. Yeah. And yep. I, I got uh, the last event I was at. One of the guys was giving me shit. I'm like, do you know what a 9822 is? No. Let me educate you. And I like went out like on this big spiel, but like, oh, your gun has a straight bolt. My loner gun has a straight bolt, you know, like, but it, it actually shoots. It shoots really well. The headspace is all right. Like it's a check bolt. They're good yeah. guns. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all the, the, 98, the model 98 action has has so much grace built into it mm -hmm. with regard to interchangeability um, headspace is really, you know, you hear a lot of people freaking out about headspace, but I, I think I've maybe seen one model 98 that didn't headspace acceptably. And it was one because it was just so friggin' shot up to hell. It, um, you know, the, the, the chamber was just a mess. And so, okay. Yeah. I probably looking at that gun wouldn't want to shoot it anyway. Um, but still it, it, there's so many safety features built into it. It's, it's just a great design. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think everybody, it's, um, everybody knows we're kind of a, we're kind of Mauser fans here, except for, except for Aaron. Except for Aaron. Yeah, he's it's, not. It's too good. It's so good. It's I'm not about to, to argue the M95 is any kind of pinnacle of design. <laughs> I'm not a moron. 
I like what I like, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Like, I, I, I can respect that. That's why, like, I love poking people that like Lee Infields and Mosins, because I'm like, I'm sitting over here, like, in the corner going, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh... So I'm reading this about variants and mm -hmm. the Kriegs model, which is what you talked about. But I'm reading this, and it's in here that that Germany started the war without a standardized sniper program. And that, yeah, that and that, yeah, that's not dissimilar to World War One too. No. There, it was like the the Gewehr ninety eight snipers were like the Wild West until like nineteen seventeen, and then they really started buttoning down and standardizing them. But there were a lot of Preston service scopes, and the same thing happened in World War Two. There were there was uh, a lot of variability and and things weren't really ratcheted down until until later. Yeah, um, and then you have then, a lot of that. Even then, it's it mentions one, two, three, four, five, six, at least like, seven seven or eight known variants of scopes. I'm like high yeah. turret, low turret, ZF, yep. ZF four. Like I'm doing these things as he's like renaming them. So you have to understand, too, that you're applying a little bit of modern knowledge to the past. So it was more of a designated marksman style of a thing, not in a there's two guys crawling around in ghillie suits in the woods kind of a thing. Yeah. No, I well, understand. I well, understand. too, like, why would you need a sniper if you're just going to have a, a, a shitload of tanks and a bunch of infantry running behind them or riding in, in, uh, in half tracks behind the... And that's how you win the battle. Why do you need a yeah. sniper? If it's well, you're just yeah. going to artillery them and then run your tanks over, <laughs> and that's how you win. Why do you need a sniper? It and seems like the, it looks like the, the this is saying that most of the the experience where they decided they needed a sniper program was in the Eastern Front. When I'm guessing it stalled and slowed to when a crawl. When it bogged city down, fighting. yeah, and warfare, everything else, yeah, yeah, and that yeah that that trench warfare style that kind of kicked in like you know 43 to 44. Yeah, you know, and, and the Russians kind of reminded them of why they, you know, why snipers are probably good in that kind of situation. Um, that, remember, the, remember too that the German doctrine was around the machine gun, where yeah. everyone in the squad was there to support the gun. So the the squad leader would tell where the gun to go. Everyone carried ammo for the machine gun, and everyone was there to protect the machine gun. Yep. So yeah. they're they're the basic rifle squad did not have. A sniper type program thing in it. Yep. Yeah, until that. Yeah, until like I said, it, it bogged down in the forty three, forty four, and kind of you know necessity kind of wanted them to. But but with the we, we didn't touch on the automatics. But you know Hitler actually put an order in place that he wanted a silenced and scoped G forty three and every infantry squad to kind of act as that <coughs> sniper for them. Yeah, like and, and the 43 was just such a disappointment as a sniper. It just didn't have the have that level of accuracy that they needed. So it really, you know, yeah, they, they um, yeah, the, they, it had the integral scope rail and all that, but it was just not, not a great platform for a sniper at all. Yeah, clamping like a little four power scope onto like a universal semi-auto is not yeah it doesn't give you the actual sniper like the germans had like kind of designated marksman kind of um, idea going on and not not exactly true true sniper right yeah 
Because that's another thing, too, that a lot of people, at least, and I'm civilian as well, I'm not military, but a lot of people that are in the modern world assume is that if it has a scope on it, it's a sniper rifle. And there's a lot of guns that have scopes that are not sniper rifles. They're designated marksman's rifles. which well, ZF-41, yeah. yeah. Which, which are yeah. not the same level of accuracy, not the same, not the same application really and there's and it's and i had a so i had a psl which is totally different in terms of like what we're talking about but like it's not a sniper rifle and but because it has a big ass scope on it everybody's like oh it's a sniper and i'm like no it's awful it's not not meant for that (laughs) yeah yeah no it's not meant for taking precise shots at a thousand yards it's meant so that you could take a better shot at like a couple hundred meters more like right and so it's yeah. even it's even known for those anyway that once they take a couple shots and the barrel heats up it's just gone it's it's accuracy is gone um yeah. if you want to read a good book about something like this um eastern front sniper the life of matthias Hetzenauer. um he was a sniper of the german military on the eastern front he used a mosin with hmm. a pu scope that doesn't surprise me yeah. Um, the photo of him on his book cover, which I don't know if I can show you. No, it's not going nope. to show. With your- uh, it's not going to show it. But um, it actually has a, a K98K with, a, I think, a low turret on it. And that's oh, not yeah. his that's, gun. Yeah, yeah, that's what he poses prop- for pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his, mm-hmm. they gave him that to pose with yep. because they took his Mosin from him. Yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah, you didn't, it propaganda doesn't have a yeah. Russian gun. Yeah. So, you know things to keep in mind right yep so i do see here they did try to prototype the k98k into a paratrooper that was ultimately a failure is what it says yeah Yeah. uh folding stocks and attachable barrels that was ultimately deemed not necessary uh there's also the g40k yeah that was a really super simplified um, attempt to make kind of a replacement for the K98K, but it really didn't go anywhere. I think it just a you know very small number survived. I think there was one at Aberdeen at one point um, that that's been photographed. I think if you look in the books, um, but uh, yeah, it was it was sort of a experiment and really didn't didn't amount to much. And then the um, one that Danny wants is the the KKW Cadet Rifle. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I do need, yeah, I still need a yeah, KKW. Yeah, which is a single-shot yeah. twenty-two caliber rifle, um, yep. which is designed exactly to mimic exactly how a, or a K98K operates. And it really does. It really right. feels just like it weight and balance everything. Just it feels just like a K98K, yeah. Way more yeah. so than the, than the uh, DSM-34, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh yeah, the KKWs are nice. They're they they have just a I mean as a trainer they're they're perfect for their role. Yeah, yeah. They're really good. The that's a that's a really interesting program. I did a video on the on the DSMs and mm-hmm. um I, I I don't know if I told you this, Chris. So when I found out I was having a, a boy like my first son, when I found out I was having a boy I'm like, I got to get, I got to get him some. So I was thinking about, you know, and I decided on a Mauser 22, you know, uh, so that he could oh. actually shoot it. So I got the the DSM because I wanted something historical and everything. 
and uh, and a friend of mine gave me a good deal on 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 a nice uh you know mauser dsm and uh so that's the, so i got that for him even before he was born and every six months i take a picture of him like with it so like when he's a little six month old baby it's me holding him and the rifle's a little, little bigger each time yeah, yeah. yeah so so every every picture so here in a couple of months i'll take a an, an updated one but yeah, every every six months I get him him and his rifle like as he gets as he gets bigger and that's awesome. But, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's I'm gonna have to get another one now for the for for the new you know. Yeah, well, the first world problems, Danny. First world problems. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually it's funny because I that's one of the guns my wife is like, yeah, you should buy it. You have to get another one for the youngest. You know, that's that's one of those I got I got permission, you know, to get. But that's cool. yeah. The, yeah, the trainer rifles is a whole nother, a whole nother oh, yeah. rabbit hole. But I feel yeah. like we could do another one of these on maybe carbines. And uh, what I one of the things I love is substitute standard German yeah. Oh, yeah, the, standard the rifles. So we, could go, we could really go down. Yeah, oh, we could yeah. really go There's down a huge a rabbit, rabbit hole. hole those. All the all the XS XX slash forty rifles that there are. Um, which yeah. is really, really weird that there's so many, you know. Well, those, um, and great. then, I mean, you could do there. A lot of that occurred in World War One, but they're not as well known. You know, they were converting, you know, eight millimeter um, Mauser labels. They had uh, um, German captured uh, Enfields, uh, Mosins. Uh, they converted Belgian eighty nines to eight millimeter. They, uh, you know, they they had uh, some of the export models like the Chinese 1907s and the Paraguayans that they uh, bought from Mauser's inventory. Um, they had some uh, leftover uh, um, Ottoman uh, uh, 87 models that they uh, that that weren't that they sat unsold so they converted those to start World War one so that yeah there's a lot of substitute standard even in World War one yeah substitute yeah I mean it would be real fun I would love to do that one. Yeah, that'd be a good episode. Quite yeah. the rabbit hole. Yeah, oh, well, big time. Yeah, it, like those M95s, right, Danny? <laughs> oh, well, they're completely different, you see, because they have a different letter at this mm -hmm. part of it, or number. <laughs> so therefore, it's a completely different gun. That's that's Aaron's logic for collecting M95s. Well, hey, it, there's look, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of one I one, definitely uh, don't do that. Model. I, I, you know, Gewehr 98s happen to be a personal addiction of mine. So, <laughs> no, Danny, the world needs I, I discuss, I, I, I tell you that the M95 Dutch is M space 95. The M95 Austro Hungarian is M period 95. And that is literal how it's written on the guns. Like it's how it's stamped on there. So, yeah. So, whatever somebody, goes m95 without a space and no period i'm like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> they they changed the side rail designation a couple different times on the 88 so the uh the earliest uh um styre ones are just g period 88 and then you have the uh some of the prussian arsenals were uh g mod 88 and then finally gewehr 88 uh, or GEW eighty eight. So it, yeah, that kind of those little designations change even. Oh, yeah, on yeah. 
the the mod the mod designation is so interesting because i know a lot of people take what's written on the gun as like the gospel for what the gun is but with k98ks it's it's mod 98 on the side but nobody yeah. ever calls mod uh, calls it a mod 98 hey you got no, your mod 98 it, i picked up a new mod 90 like nobody says that it, it, yeah and the different fonts like you can always tell which uh which the uh especially with some so you know kind of a misunderstood you you had Gustloff and uh JP Sauer as K98K makers they they weren't really manufacturers they were assemblers they didn't really make their own receivers they they brought in subcontracted receivers uh Sauer built typically off of Walther receivers and uh uh Irma slash uh, FEMA uh receivers and then uh you had Gustloff who they they had a lot of uh, uh, Astra work uh, work uh, receivers, so you know they they really just assembled. They didn't really manufacture them from the ground up, but like say the Mauser. They got the yeah, stamp. they got the stamp. They they got the stamp. They so they they had their own code and everything, but ultimately, yeah, they weren't making their own receivers like uh, some of the like you know. Um, uh, Steyer or, or uh, Mauser were. That's almost like the. Is it the pedal scheme rifles from the British where you have yeah. like a ton of manufacturers and then a single one like assembles it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're all, they yeah. also did it with P38s. So, yeah. Uh, FN made P30, I think it was P38s. Uh, they made different frames for different pistols and people put them together. Yeah. And, and Steyr, um, they, they, uh, the old uh, uh, radon factory fell under their auspices and, if you get a uh, a BNZ forty five that has a uh, uh, E seventy seven receiver, that was a Radom um, that was originally uh, manufactured at Radom and and uh, assembled. So, oh, I just thought of something substitute standard, Danny. Yeah, I thought of something that substitute standard that would be fun to talk about that it doesn't get a lot of love. What's that? <laughs> the MG thirty four. I'm You're kidding. in my home now. I'm kidding. You're in my home. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. I live there. I'm I'm messing <laughs> with you. I'm messing with you. Uh, but the 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 what is it? The what's the Steyr submachine gun? The so oh the M M MP thirty four. Yeah. 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 So. That one doesn't get a lot of love, I don't think. Belgian. Or, it was great. Uh, great. Yeah, yeah. They they uh, the the Germans I think used it uh, to a very small extent, but most of them went to like Portugal or other contracts. It's an SSVT um, gun. Yeah, yeah. They're, so, they're, they're, I think they're cool as shit. They Mostly they are the stripper clip bloating thing built into the like magazine well on it is and it, and the fact that it's like all milled you know steel and if it's, you it's a sexy yeah if you want to do the mercedes of submachine guns i think mm -hmm. you know just you, looking back on it if you want to look at early smg uses you want uh ssvt in france because they use mp28s m yeah irma m35s mp34s like because they didn't have the procurement program so uh the book i have there's one photo of an mp40 and it was a lieutenant, I think, or not a Lloyd. It'd be a, uh, I forget the name of it now. I think it's Sturm, uh, Sturmbach. But uh, 
he has one, and everything else is all MP28s and uh, Irma MP35s. Oh yeah, it says that as a substitute standard uh, 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 submachine gun, it wasn't used much in the German military just because of how expensive it was to produce, and mm-hmm. it was uh, used. They already had the by the time the the German and Austria combined, it was they were already pretty much finalizing the design for the MP40. And it was like there was no need to continue producing the much more complicated and much more expensive version. Yeah. Um, but if yeah. you, you want to see them in it combat. It is called the Rolls Royce of submachine guns because yeah. it yeah. is if, extremely high. Like the highest build quality standard possible is what they said it was built to. Yep. If you want to see that stuff in combat, you have to look up, especially like SSVT or LAH or Totenkopf in France. So I have and you a can see them used in combat. Yeah. I have a bayonet for one of those. I have the Portuguese bayonet for it uh, because oh, yeah. because uh, I, I, a guy found it in a in a, um, a antique store and he messaged me um, because it's it's an M ninety five bayonet just slightly modified. It's just got a slightly different uh, way it attaches, and that's it. It looks just like an M ninety five bayonet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, not too many SMGs that take bayonets. Like no, not like a full Japanese bayonet type, too. Like this is like the a type, legit, the type 100 maybe. It's a legit yeah, rifle bayonet too. It's not like a little stabby thing. It's oh, like yeah, a legit yeah, yeah. rifle bayonet too, which is ridiculous. It's longer than the barrel of the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the Japanese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I think no, the type 100 bayonet's shorter, I think. Well, yeah, well, we're getting bayonet. off cha- off topic here obviously, but uh, That's what we do, man. Substitute that's standard yeah. though. Yeah. Substitute yeah. standard yeah, stuff that, is interesting. That's a good. That's a good, uh, that's a good follow up. That's another. That's another rabbit hole. I mostly focus on World War II substitute standards, but uh, yeah, World War One stuff. That's oh, uh, the M ninety five M. Another round. They, they got a designation. That got a designation, so it obviously was used somewhere. Yeah, I mean, they were chambered in eight millimeter Mauser, so it's not like it was that weird. Yeah. Yeah. But the there's Germans, a, so the Germans a, thought they were Greek, by the way. So that's the, oh, the that's designation funny. is is that it's from Greece. That's they, really funny. They captured most of them in Greece for some reason. Um, yeah. Not sure how they got there, but uh, so they assumed it was made in Greece. There's a there's a picture that I'm trying to win on eBay, and it's it's an original photo. It's like in a lot, but one of the photos is a bunch of like uh, German equipment and like German soldiers. And it's a bunch of Dutch M95s, like NTPs, mm-hmm. like along the row. So like it's a whole like squad or whatever of uh, of, of German soldiers that were all issued Dutch M95s. That's Are they uh, field gendarmerie? What? Sorry. Go ahead, Jerry. Rural police. Yeah. I I said, are they um, field gendarmerie? Not rural well, police. It's two different things. They had, <laughs> a, they had a, <laughs> I misheard you. Yeah, a bunch of I them. Had, you it was said land gendarmerie. Ah, field. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was hard to tell, but it was earlier war, and they had M thirty five and a few nineteen uh, seventeen Stahlhelms kind of mixed in. So it was mm-hmm. like it was. It was early. There is a photo. Uh, there's a. There's a rather famous photo from uh, uh, oh, crap. Uh, Market Garden of I'm pretty sure it's market garden and it's of a this german general like he heard that as a position was taken over by the british and he was like what no I, no it isn't so him and like his his driver hopped in hopped in a mercedes 
and took off towards the towards the area. And, but the British were there and they machine gunned the vehicle mm. and it killed the killed the general. But the driver, he got out and died next to the car. But laying next to his body was a Dutch M95 that he pulled out of the car with him. And uh, so I saw this this I have this photo somewhere and it's uh, it is just like really neat. Like he as the driver, he picked the Dutch M95 because he could, you know, shove it in the car. It's nice and yeah, short. Sure. He can shove in the car and he could pull it out, you know, and use it if he needed to. So he didn't make it very far, but, but that's like the latest example that I've seen. Oh, next to, I've seen, I've seen a video of Volksturm being issued, being handed out Dutch M95s, like out of yeah. a crate. Like yeah. they'll the crate and they're handing out Dutch M95s to a bunch of German Volksturm. But yeah, substitute stuff is good. A lot of it, a lot of it's not marked, you know, which is kind of makes it, makes it harder for collectors. Like the Germans didn't mark everything like as no, they weren't like as, as, as anal as people think they were with marking everything, everything they ever captured ever, you know, they didn't mark it. Uh, you know, if they did, you know, every Belgian and French gun just about would have, would have, you know, markings on it and yeah, you know, German I, capture markings. From what I understand, really it's only really if they, if they went through some kind of rebuild process, yeah, like they yeah, were exactly. fixed or if, yep. so they, they only really cared if, if they made it, or if they had to fix it, and that was the two yeah. reasons it would be marked. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, or and that's and it's an easy way to tell too if a marking is a little bit spurious. Is it, you look at it, and if there's no, if there was nothing that was changed about it, or you know something like that, it it, it would make a lot of sense that okay, yeah, this this probably was added by by someone trying to increase the value be a bunch of svt 40s and ppsh 41s yeah cool well i feel like this was a really good podcast guys this is uh, i'm nice looking at the recording one. here yeah it's uh it's getting close to three hours so um before we a... end it can i thank my wife for getting me beers because she is an incredible <laughs> oh, woman man. i know like that's awesome Just, yeah you can you hear the clapping everyone's clapping for you yeah yeah, real trooper here. She she did all like barely complained. She's the real MVP. <laughs> yeah. Now we had a, we had a really wide field to cover, so uh, you know we we stayed high level, but I know we covered a lot of ground. Well, it's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's a it doesn't it doesn't get a lot of a love, I don't think, in terms of uh, you see technological advancements and people talk about how fast we like flight travel came into existence and how we went from flight to jets in such a short amount of time. But like the, the musket was the thing for like hundreds of years. Yeah. And then it suddenly was just like, no, nope, gone <laughs> in a very short, relatively short period of time. It was oh, completely yeah. different. If, yeah. if you think where we've came from, like we came from front stuffers to reliable semi-automatic with magazine interchange in a short window of time, and in that short amount of time now, we've went from this is how it is to don't drink the liquid from the battery in your car. <laughs> Are you saying we're regressing? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> like, like, we came so far. Like, we should be the Jetsons. But instead, oh we're goodness. we're not supposed to drink the liquid. Oh, from you the don't want to get you mind. don't want to get started on the on the the theory you about need the to drink your, You need to drink your corn syrup and shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it high fructose corn syrup though? No, it's distilled. Oh, 
damn. All right, never mind. Oh, no, yeah. All right, uh, you uh, the sign off, Tanny. Yeah, I'll I'll do the sign off here. Uh, hey, Chris, thank you so much for for coming on coming on oh, the yeah. show. This was a this was a great show. Uh, it's it's always nice to pick the brain of of an expert, uh, especially an expert who's not an asshole who knows well, a lot about Gavir ninety eight. And I'm not an expert by any stretch. I just like talking about this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you're not an um, asshole. <laughs> Well, I'd like to think I'm not anyway. Some, some might disagree with me, but I don't know. I'd like to think I'm a good egg. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I joke about that. But uh, no, like I think I know somebody who he actually does know a lot, but he introduced himself as an expert. And mm-hmm. I'm immediately like, uh, yeah, no. Like I think there's a, uh, what's, oh, what is that called? The uh, Dunning-Kruger effect. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, more, yep. there's, there's, there's a real, there's, that's a real you know, thing. And, uh, I think it's, it's a good sign that you say you're not, you know, because who is, yeah, and I, I, I openly admit I'm not, I, there, there's a lot, we, a lot we don't know. And, and that, that's what makes collecting this stuff still fun. Well, it's yeah, not yeah. like they were used in any kind of major conflict and like the country's dissolved and reappeared and dissolved and reappeared. Yeah. Yeah. There's very little history with German arms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Chris. Thanks for coming on Aaron and, Welcome back, Jared. Yeah. And uh, well, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see you guys next time. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.